Hello, everybody. Chad Belding. Welcome to another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody. Today's a special episode because it's what I'm going to refer to and not to, not to copy Zach Brown, but it's a homegrown episode. It's going to be brought to you by our friends at Savage Arms and Federal Premium Rifle Ammunition. We've teamed up with Savage and Federal over the last five years, chasing coyotes, mule deer, antelope, Rocky Mountain elk, all species of sheep. Uh, as far as the performance of that combination goes, it's accurate, it's deadly, dependable, and uh, we couldn't ask for a better partnership between the Vista brands, Savage Arms, and Federal premium ammunition with me today i have a slew of people that i refer to as team dead dog walking the mountain men of nevada just real men that get after it in the mountains i'm talking setting up wall camp wall tents at at, at big time camps living in the mountains living off the land um, chasing big game, chasing predators. And we're going to get into some of that today. Predator management, predator control, what it means to our environment, what it means to our habitat, what it means to our other wildlife populations. First, I'd like to uh, introduce Mr. Alex Crosby. He's been part of the Dead Dog Walking Show as a co-host for the last, I don't know, seven or eight years. He's going to be able to tell you more about that. And what's cool about Alex is that he comes from a different walk of life than what we participate in every day. And that's what we've talked about is that this podcast is about different walks of life coming together. And he's been in the construction industry, the hunting industry. Currently, he's in the transportation industry, but still has a huge passion for the outdoors and working with us here at Bandit and, and the foul life and dead dog walking. I also have Mr. Jim Ray. He's been a, a friend of mine for about the last 20 years. He actually is responsible for um, getting me into duck hunting calling ducks uh, himself, Dave Stanley, John Hanna. He currently works in the insurance industry, but has a huge passion for the outdoors, hunting, conservation, fishing, getting his kids involved, as well as cooking wild game. And we're going to get into some Traeger recipes and how Traeger's uh, truly changed Jim's way of thinking and preparing food for his family and friends. And then uh, last but not least, I have both of my brothers on the podcast today, Clay Belding and Clint Belding. You know them both from Dead Dog Walking, The Foul Life, Team Banded. Um, you, you, you name it, these guys can get it done in the outdoors. Um, I could introduce them for hours, but I don't want to do that. Well, I'll just let the, uh, the podcast do the talking for the uh, other two Belding brothers. Very proud of what they've done as far as um, their involvement in, in the outdoor industry. And, and my biggest uh, sense of pride for both of them is how they've gotten their kids involved. If you ever meet Chance and Caden or Chase, Chase is seven years old and is responsible already for calling in and harvesting his first coyote with a 22-250 at 85 yards. So when you talk about raising them right, all three of those kids I just named, Chance, Caden, and Chase, the three C's again, have all harvested animals. They love to eat wild game, just live in the outdoor lifestyle. So that's enough for me talking, doing the introductions. Let's just start off a little bit with Alex Crosby. And I, I want to start this off because Alex has become known around our crew or around the dead dog walking fanship and, 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 and fan base as the marksman, this guy can shoot a rifle like um, most guys dream of. And I, I'm not making this up. I've seen this cat make shots running away, left to right, right to left, running at you. Um, he's just pinpoint accuracy. So, Alex, what would you say is the key element in your accuracy with, with the rifle and, and, and lead into, you know, what 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 goes into to training for that type of situation? You know, honestly, it, it, it's the equipment. I mean, you, you've got a good rifle and a good scope, and you've got it perfectly dialed in, which uh, for the last couple of years, I'll give Clay his credit on that. He's, he's got a well-tuned machine that I've been using. Uh, it's a Savage 22250. 
Um, and once you've got that part of it dialed in, uh, I think the biggest key to it is getting that sight picture, you know, picking that animal up in your scope quick and being able to follow them. And I mean, obviously cardio too, Alex. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're definitely going to want to work out your trigger finger every single day. (laughs) Every day is chest day and every day is trigger finger day. And if you're not doing both of those things, you're in a bad Don't forget your calves. (laughs) No, no, never, never work your legs out. When you sit down on a coyote stand, there's no reason to have a good uh, lower body. Zero. So here we go. I knew this was going to happen having Jim Ray and Alex Crosby on the same podcast. But, but when you talk about sight picture, I want to I want to touch on that a little bit because that's an actual term that goes with marksmanship and and trigger control and getting into a rifle and knowing your scope, the crosshairs, and everything that goes into presenting that shot. Right. When you say sight picture, talk about visualization. When I was playing baseball, I would visualize me hitting a home run the night before, and it happened very few times. But visualization is a huge part of success. Ted Williams wrote about it in The Science of Hitting, the best baseball book ever written. How important is visualization? Do you picture a coyote running back up a hill and knowing that you got to move your sticks left to right and get back into it? Talk to me about visualization and that sight picture. Yeah, yeah. No, you absolutely. Usually right when you sit down, you know, at least I think you scan what your stand is going to be. And you visualize, okay, if one comes down from that bottom left, you know, this is where he's going to finish. And, and I always look through my scope when nothing's out there just to kind of, that's what it should look like. And then, you know, you want to pick that dog up as he's coming through the brush or whatever. All that stuff goes into that real quick sight picture. You know, you'll always see people struggle when they can't find the animal in the scope. And then when you're looking up, looking down, looking up, looking over, pulling your head in, out, you know, trying to get that perfect scope picture you're wasting all that time and all your stress starts to build. If you can do that quick, then the shot's easy to do. You know, you got a good rifle, good scope, good sight picture, squeeze the trigger. And it's a lot, it's a lot more difficult than you're making it sound. It takes, you guys have been on hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of predator stands. And Jim did mention cardio. And when I, when I've, you know, I don't get to do it as much anymore, but when you're walking into a coyote stand and you start that visualization process, and I'm gonna let Clay talk on this and Clint for a second, when you get to you, what I like to call the vantage point, I would always try to find a vantage point as a predator hunter. You don't just get up there and just start calling right away. There's some process that goes into setting up that stand. And, and I'm bringing this up because I had a conversation yesterday with my buddy Rush Radoni about it, we take it for granted how many coyotes we've seen come in and how many we harvest. It's not that easy. It truly isn't. There's a lot of guys out there that are begging for instruction on how to become a more successful marksman, a more successful game caller. And it starts with that walk-in. And I'm talking everything from the drive-in to shutting that door. I love when I get out of a truck on a coyote stand and the guy just slams the door. (laughs) And I'm like, what? You know, it's like turkey hunting. You don't slam the door. That's why bad boy buggies, you know, they have that, that, that motorized that you can't really hear it. I, I don't know if that really plays an effect on birds a lot, but a lot of people in that part of the country depend on low sound motors, low volume motors, so they don't scare the turkeys off. So why would we slam the door? Talk to me, Clint, Clay, about the importance and the, the, the very beginning of that process of a coyote stand. That's when it all starts. Uh, you get out of the truck, you're whispering, you know, and we tend to, tend to do that even after we take the shot because it's just a good habit to have. And, uh, you know, you get out of the truck and you obviously never want to skyline yourself. So I think, you know, your typical coyote hunter is going to go out there and just, just pick a stand and not really worry about the way they approach that stand. But at any point in time, you can keep yourself low to the ground, uh, not skyline yourself, 
look at the wind and if you can even approach your stand with the wind in your favor. And then once you get to that area where you're going to set up, then you can determine if you want to have a crosswind or a, or a headwind or, you know, so somewhat, uh, but, uh, anyways, um, yeah. So once you get there, you want to, you, you basically want to scan where you're at. You know, we usually have a cameraman on stand. We usually have a shotgunner. We always have a shotgunner, uh, which is something I'm sure we'll get to here in a little bit, but, um, you're going to want to look right away at how, where is that coyote going to come from? You know, and that's that, that usually uh, along with the wind is what's going to determine where you initially sit down. And then quite often you sit down and you realize, you know what, you got a blind spot. So there's nothing wrong with getting up and walking another hundred yards into the field and finding the next little high rise and, and making it work from there. So you got to adapt once you get there. And, but the most important thing is making sure you get in there as quiet as possible. Uh, you know, give yourself every chance that if the predator's within earshot, that you're going to still get, be able to, to call them and harvest them and, um, make sure you don't skyline yourself and then get your wind right. That's, that's, that's by far the most important thing when it comes to predator hunting. Jimmy, you're looking at Clint kind of weird and you're like trying to figure out his voice. Like it's kind of like Barry Whitish. I just don't know where the boundaries are. There's a lot of things he said that I could have commented on that are inappropriate. So I'm just trying to be quiet. (laughs) You guys are going to learn about Jim Ray, that he's probably one of the top three funniest human beings, him, Bill Burr. And I, wow, it, I mean, he's company right there. there. Yeah. Louis C. Rosie K. O'Donnell. <laughs> Rosie O'Donnell. <laughs> um, we talk about here, here. This is this is something that that I, I want you guys to touch on about the wind direction, setting up that hunt, figuring out what coyotes are going to do. You got to make yourself think like an animal. And I think one of the biggest mistakes or the biggest conundrums that a hunter or an athlete or anybody falls into is that they think they get this mindset that they're going to be successful 100% of the time. And if you, if you take that mindset that you're confident, but you also have to understand that things are going to happen that are out of your, out of your control because you're hunting a wild animal. So my mindset, and you guys tell me if I'm wrong, when I go into a coyote stand, I would tell myself, I'm going to set up for the coyotes to approach in this window right here. Now, your instincts as a hunter give you the ability to grab a shotgun and turn real quick in a safe manner if one backdoors you, right? There's always going to be the chance for something to backdoor you. In duck hunting, I apply it to where I wish that every time I blew my call, mallards just fall from the heavens, but that's not the case. You're not going to call in every duck. You're going to see thousands of ducks on a duck hunt and maybe 10% of them are going to respond to your call. Those are the ones that make the hunt. Those are the ones that make you better. The ones that don't come in make you better in a different way. Talk to me a little bit about when you say wind direction, do you, do you want to walk into a stand, Alex? And do you want the wind in your face? Do you want the wind at a crosswind as a predator hunter? And I'm a, and I'm a first time guy. And I want to say that there's a, a wind at 15 miles an hour. Doesn't matter which direction, where do I want my body in conjunction to that wind? I think there's two, you will probably say, maybe the opposite of me, but I, I like to have a wind in your face. Now, 15 miles an hour, I think you'd rather have it crosswind to you. But, you know, if it's a light wind that's going to be in your face, you're going to set that decoy up a little bit closer to you. You hopefully, you know, can get them to come from in front, I guess is what I should say. If you're, when we set up with, you know, uh, some elevation, we're typically at a point where you're calling out to the front of you. We're not on the flats. You know, if you're out on the flats, you don't want that wind in your face because they're just going to backdoor you every time. 
If you're going to have some elevation, you have a light breeze in your face, hopefully that dog will come around either, you know, right to you, right in your face, or at least he'll circle and give you enough time to make that shot. Yeah, that's how I was, oh, sorry. I I was going to say that we're lucky enough, you know, we get a hunt in our backyard to where we hunt a lot of the same stands or same type of country. And we know what stands we're going to make on a given run. So if we look at the weather report the day before, we know if we're going to come in from the north on that certain run where there's going to be 10 stands that day or 20 stands that day. We know if we're coming from the north or south. So when we walk into that stand, we we know what is expected because we've been there before. Now, if you have not been there and you're in new country, you're going to get there and there's going to be things that you want on every stand. You're going to want the sun at your back. So they're going to be staring at it when they're coming into you. And you're going to want that wind in your face or in a crosswind. Mm-hmm. Because that coyote's always going to go downwind. There's never, I mean, very rarely a coyote's going to come straight into you if there is a wind. He's going to use that wind to his advantage to find out what he is hearing is real. Mm-hmm. So when you keep that, when you set up your stand, you want to keep your downwind side open to where if that coyote does get downwind of you, you're going to have an ample opportunity to harvest it right yeah and that makes sense and and to to tie jim ray into this and i want to keep going back to i want today's theme to be to where when you get to do something a bunch of times um let's let's just take a, a a baseball player for example if if bryce harper is getting to take batting practice on a major league baseball field every single day of his career like he gets to do he starts to take that for granted sometimes, or he, he might he might think to himself, man, I'm lucky to be able to do this. And us from the outside are looking in like, I just wish I could do that one time. You know what I mean, Jim? It's like, I want to be able to do that one time. And we get to go out and do it so much. I want the theme of today, I want us to keep going back to the, the fact that there's a lot of people out there that don't get to experience it maybe once in their life. But if it, let's talk about it. Let's, let's bring it back to the weekend warrior guys that are going out there. They're waiting all week for Saturday morning to come so they can get on a coyote stand or a mule deer hunt. And Jim Ray, uh, if, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you know, you, you work your butt off in the insurance field, very successful, have a great family, uh, work for a great local company, Nevada Insurance Agency with the Shaleen family. All the Shaleens are good friends of ours. You're a chucker hunter. You chase chuckers in the mountains of Nevada. That's your passion now. You love to duck hunt, but I know chucker hunting and your pointing, pointing dogs have become your passion. Tell me about chucker hunting and and run it back a little bit about how important predator management is because from a fox to a skunk to an eagle to a hawk to anything that's a scavenger or a predator they play an effect in that egg and that population of in the breeding of a chucker bird talk just run it back a little bit about what a chucker hunter is what well, you experience and what it means with predator control i started chucker hunting about shoot 15 years ago when i realized none of my pants were fitting <laughs> and just gaining too much weight duck hunting. It's, well, that's uh, a knock on me, I think. Oh, well, <laughs> wow. But, uh, but no, for sure, chucker hunting is very dependent on uh, predator control. I thought control. Matt was on last week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, crows, for everything from crows, coyotes, foxes, skunks, getting into those nests. So, yeah, predator control is very, very uh, important to chucker hunting. And it's a fragile, fragile bird. Late season weather can really affect the hatch and really screw up the, the upcoming year. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying too about people that equating it to that baseball player when you watch it on TV and, and see, man, I wish I could just do that. Um, people 
all the time or saying, Hey, can I come with you and all that? And, and, uh, it's tough. They get out there and they don't realize what goes into chucker hunting and the, the physical demands of it, the hiking, the equipment, everything from your boots to making sure you have a good gun. Like a, I shoot a Benelli, a nice light 20 gauge for chucker. Uh, and it took years and years and years to figure out what the best equipment is, what, you know, what needs to be done, where to go. What areas don't have a lot of predation? They may hold more birds. Which areas don't have a lot of? Uh, and hopefully, we'll talk about this later too. Kind of with our influx of population growth growth in our area, uh, a lot of our spots are getting uh, a little overpopulated with with people. So uh, you can't shoot them. So we we got to rely on killing predators, increasing bird amounts, and and. Uh, kind of going that direction jim how many of your spots have birds on the road um not very many actually i uh early season yeah well i see where you're going funny guy but we're uh early season well uh, i don't like to hunt in early seasons because i'm deathly afraid of rattlesnakes so i wait for that that cold weather to come in and by then they're off the water up high where uh, uh better physical specimens the more athletic ch- hunters uh tend to tend to get out team dead dog walking will not be chuck hunting with you this year isn't that kind of the great thing about predator hunting is it's somewhere between at the same time waterfowl hunting can be pretty demanding depending on how far out you have to walk in the marsh but it's somewhere in between right you know yeah. we can it, it's great for it, it's it's probably why chad got into it a long time ago too is because it's great for you know not to be in peak physical condition but it's also great for add right Chad does not have ADD. But Short sets. And yeah, lots you, know, of, yeah. you know, 20 minutes later, nothing happens. You can go on to the next thing, whereas it's it's kind of crazy that, that he actually can be a waterfowl hunter because there's patience in that sport. Yeah, but, but uh, the difference is that when you walk into a predator stand, you, you can't talk. When you're on a predator stand, there's very little talking, maybe whispering. When you're on a turkey stand, there's no talk. When you're on a deer stand, there's no talk. I mean, deer hunters are weird. They they go to bed at 7 o'clock. They wash their clothes in weird soap, and they oxygenate their stuff in bags. And then you predator hunters are in your mom's basement scoping in your rifles and, you know, getting the ballistics and the windage. And, you know, on a duck hunter, you get in a blind, and you put on the uh, the stove, and you cook biscuits and gravy, and you call, and you talk, and you joke, and you rib, and you, you, you hear some whistling wings, and you look up, and you call at them, and you shoot at them, and you send your dog, and you're right back to talking smack and that's really the cool thing about hunting is that there's all these different applications and that's where i'm leading into this is that you guys are fun havers just like myself and on a predator stand you got to be serious there's not a lot of time to get in there and really joke around or talk like you can in a duck blind but that's what's so relevant about camp right and I know that that's one of our favorite places to be in the world. My favorite place in the world is Duck Camp America. And I know that you guys love being in Gerlach and you love being in Via. You love being in Northern Nevada, Northern Washoe County, all over the state. We're, we're, we have a lot of predators and a lot of opportunity here for hunting. What, um, talk to me a little bit about what is this, the aura of camp in the mountains of Nevada? Why is this place so special to put up a wall camp and build a fire and catch a trout or cook something on, you know, cook something on your grill. Talk to me a little bit about that, Alex. It, I think it goes back to when we were all kids, right? Our, our dads took us out camping. You know, it, it, there was no vacation. At least when I was when I was a young man, vacation was Gerlach, Nevada. You know, vacation was uh, the Royal Rainbow Opal Mine. You know, sixty miles north of of Gerlach, and we would go camping every day. And 
and our parents enjoyed that. And, and, you know, if you think back to your, to your youth, you know, your, your dad cracked his first Budweiser at, you know, 11 o'clock and, you know, he had a fire going by one and, you know, mom was making lunch and we were shooting BB guns or 22s. And if it was hunting season, you started chasing birds. And as we got older, I don't, that, that never died for me, you know, and, and I love, you know, going to uncle Lavor's house. And even if you're not in a tent, you know, you're in the pitch black when the sun goes down. And when you wake up early in the morning, there's a badger running through his field, or maybe there's a coyote down there if we hadn't been there very long. And, uh, you know, he's making you breakfast at four in the morning and, uh, you know, lunchtime, you might crack your first Bud Light. Who knows? You know, but uh, you keep it, talking about cracking beers. I'm like, <laughs> what's on your mind? But, you know, you, you keep talking about Uncle Lavor and you keep saying him and his farm and the Badgers. I mean, if you're going to do it, talk in his voice, please. Just give me a little bit about. <laughs> Come on, sweetie. <laughs> give me a little bit. I want, I want Lavor and Cleo. They woke up on a Saturday morning and there's two Badgers and a white faced cow out in the field. <laughs> And, you know, it's people say, well, on a podcast, you can't do inside jokes. And this is not an inside joke because of this. Everybody has these aunts and uncles in, in their, in their family tree that you're just like, what? Yeah. And we can't live without them. Aunt Cleo and Lavore called me last week to talk to me. Like we want to buy some DVDs of the shows because our cable's out up here. I'm like, well, no, sh- it's out. You live way out in the boonies and you, you, it takes a special person to do what Lavore and Lavore's dad already did. And it's you funny. Know, you talk about a family tree. It, it looks like a telephone pole in the building family. <laughs> <laughs> hey, sweetie. <laughs> 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 oh man, I'm glad I invited Jim right here. So, you know, get, you know, Lavor and Clue are special people and that that's we have to have an understanding of that, guys, is that we wake up in our houses here and we go to our insurance office, our transportation office, our TV studios. We're working. We we got to keep in the in the in our mind of what's going on in rural America still because there is that awesome lifestyle, that slow down dirt road tailgate down dog in the back cat i mean there's so much cool stuff that happens we're, on we're the- lucky here in nevada too we have i spend more time on dirt probably than i do asphalt from october to the end of january chasing chucker you i could drive probably to las vegas which uh it's quite a ways from northern nevada for you people out there that don't realize that in a lot of ways yeah uh you can pretty much get anywhere in nevada with 20 miles of asphalt and the rest could be dirt and, and a lot of us boys here in this room have, have done just that. And getting back to camp, we always say, if you wouldn't take a guy on a camping trip, why would you hang out with them? Yeah. And that's, you know, that's how I judge the character of the guys I hang out with. If I wouldn't camp with them, I don't want to be around them. And yeah. I think a lot of people are getting back to that. Like what you're talking about, how crazy the world has become that it's it's just so peaceful out there. You know, you get back to your roots, you get back to what... I think we were meant to be doing and that is hanging out doing hunting and hanging out with your family and camping and living off the land. That's what that was, what we always go back to. And that's what I would rather do than anything else in the world. I think one of the best weeks that we've had in the last few years was on chances deer hunt. And we camped at grassy camp, you know, and we had a, we had a tent and a jumping jack and, and a, and an open fire to, to cook on and, your entertainment is Clay busting his guitar out the three chord cowboy himself. You know, he, he, he plays the nine songs that he knows. Clint sings dinosaur in the highest pitch voice I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> You're and, welcome. Yeah, exactly. And, and it honestly, you know, like, like Chad said, we go to bed at eight 30 cause you got to get up at three 30 the next morning, you know, but man, it, there's just nothing better And it. And it, 
it really resets your, uh, your soul if you don't want to sound too cheesy, you know? And like you said, you get up early and you go to work every day and you, you do your physical therapy and you do your television, you sell your insurance, you know, you book your trips, you do whatever, and you get stressed out and wound up. And it's literally like, as soon as you leave out the pyramid highway, that's all gone. So you're saying, and I talked on this a little bit in, couple weeks ago with john david stanley it's therapeutic 100 percent. that you it, i hate when my phone works when i get out there you know what i mean a lot of people you know do, are we gonna have cell service out there i hope not you know what i mean like and i hate when you go through that patch and your phone picks up cell service and all your text messages come through and all your emails and all your missed calls and it's like man i wish we would have never gone through this cell reception i'd rather be up here in the granites with no cell reception for the next four. I, I don't mind dealing with it Monday morning when I get home, but I don't want it when I'm out there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you know, I, I want but a guy it. like, but a guy like Jim Ray, you might not necessarily need service, but Jimmy, I mean, he needs the, the, the camera for the selfies, right? Like, oh, you, 100%. Have Social you seen media. how many selfies he posts? It's One of the greatest inv- uh, inventions of our time <laughs> is a selfie stick. <laughs> I mean, if yeah. you, if you don't agree with me on that, then I'm at the wrong place. You, hey, <laughs> I would not great... go camping with you and your selfie stick. <laughs> That's a great idea. Could you, could you, do something and attach it to the end of your shotgun oh yeah yep i do all kinds of (laughs) and watch him shoot with his eyes closed right every time but no (laughs) keep touching on that alex about when when you when you are out there and i've heard it at duck camp we're at this place down at prairie wings in arkansas and there's only one place one place in that on that property that you're going to get cell service it's in the booster in this one chair in the living room at prairie wings duck camp and Sometimes you'll walk in, there'll be 11 dudes huddled around that one spot. And I understand, you know, business in in life doesn't stop just because we go to duck camp, but that's only for like 10 minutes, 15 minutes of the day. The rest of the time you hear a fire popping, you hear a boat motor starting, you hear a coffee pot coming on, you hear a dog panting, you hear shotguns going off and duck calls going. That's what you're getting at is that you might have to still be a part of your everyday life, but getting out there and being able to let go that's that's what hunting and and is to us it's not about seeing an animal die because if there's somebody that respects animals more than us i'd like to meet him hunters are what makes the world of animals go around period in my opinion and our success in the populations of animals in this world and that's why i was so interested in in getting this word out to people on and i want to keep touching on it is that we we're talking about camp and we're talking about camaraderie and i i want to also go back to the fact that I feel like we're doing the animals justice with predator management. And I want everybody to talk on that right now. I don't want that to be taken lightly is that we are able to do what we do as hunters. If you get to hunt one day a week or five days a week, we get to do that because we've been successful in driving our animal populations and predator management is a big key in that success, right? A hundred percent. And I, and I thought about this cause I, I figured this question would come up and I, I want to relate it back to something that's been in the news. And that is the, uh, elephant trophy ban and, and the lifting of the elephant trophy ban and myself and, and Chad was there. We were at, we were at an NRA convention in Pennsylvania a few years ago, and I was uneducated to the facts about elephant hunting. And I said to Chad, I would never shoot an elephant. I made that statement and, and I said, I, I don't think there's any sport in it. I don't think, you know, and, and I got a 20 minute sermon from a guy and I don't even know who he is right now. And, and he educated me on what goes down on an elephant hunt and what it benefits and all the ins and outs of it. And we don't need to go into it because none of us here are safari hunters, but it relates back to coyote hunting and clay will say the same thing. We get social media 
comments and direct messages and things like that that say, I, I love this one. I'm a hunter, but I would never shoot a coyote. I'm a hunter, but I would never shoot a mountain lion. You don't eat them. You don't, whatever. It's wrong. And, 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 and people are uneducated to what we're going to talk about right now. And that's what is predator control? What are you doing out there? You're not eating these things, and we're not, and and we are we are harvesting their fur, you know, which is one thing. But there are people that disagree with the fact that you don't eat them. However, these things eat what you're chasing, and if you're not into controlling a little bit of their population, you're doing yourself a huge disservice. And I don't think anybody at this table would disagree with me. Well, we've seen a huge decline in our deer population, especially up where your family hunts quite a bit. Chad is uh, that northern Washoe County, next to the California border where there is no mountain lion control right across the street in California. And you're seeing those animals come in and just wipe out that deer population that used to be probably one of the best in the state. Yeah. The science is there that what we do helps the population of other animals. So I'm not going to make excuses of why we do it or anything like that. I don't feel bad. I know what I'm doing as a hunter and those are the best times like killing a coyote is not, it's not, it is fun, but it's not, the joy is not in the killing. The joy is in knowing what we're doing it for and the people you get to hang out with. And those times, like right now, we're about ready to put in for our tags for this upcoming season. And a lot of the times in Nevada, you don't, you don't pull a tag. But the next best thing for us is we're still out there hunting, helping those people that are that did pull those tags on the deer, elk, antelope, whatever it is, because we're out there harvesting those coyotes, helping them on the back end of that whole deal. And if you can't be out there deer hunting, it is still awesome to be out there in the field, doing what you love hunting, no matter what it is. Yeah. There's an ecosystem and there's a, there's a, a place for everything out there. We can't, you know, we can't complain about coyotes because they were here before us. So when I hear somebody say, I, too many coyotes in my backyard and they took one of my puppies and well that's your fault you know what i'm saying we're we're civilization we're building in and jim touched on this before is we continue to build in and i was on jim's back deck the other night at during the unr game and we're cooking out there on the traeger and i was like man how cool would that valley be if you were the only house out there we used to shoot clay pigeons out there and chucker hunt where my house is yeah it's and that, crazy and that's the thing is that we can't be like when you get frustrated in traffic when you get like, oh, you're in my way. I'm trying to get to where I'm going. Well, so is that person in front of you. We can't have that mindset that we're the only ones because the coyotes are the ones that should be thinking like that. They should be the ones with the deer and be going like, what the hell? Mm. I was just freaking hunting right there yesterday. And now there's a retention pond being dug by A&K construction and 19 slabs being poured. Well, that's the thing about it is that we can't we cannot complain about coyotes being in our yard and somebody can't complain to us about going out and keeping those coyotes in check because sooner or later they're going to, they're going to form a disease. They're going to get something that riddles their population. It's going to spread out to other populations of animals. And when you talk about rodents and mice and snakes and everything that you see out in the wild from a magpie to a crow, to a field mice, to a groundhog serves a purpose. And there's a reason to keep them in check. We keep ground squirrels in check in this part of the country because it messes with farming practices and cattle. We keep 
we keep other animals in check in this area like the coyote and the bobcat because if we didn't, that we would be overran with them. And that's what predator management is about. There's no way that we're going to put a hole in that population, but we feel a responsibility of the hunter is to make sure that we're giving everything a chance. We can't let one population get out of control and then it devastate the mule deer population like it has, or even the antelope population in Northern Nevada. Well, I think we could probably talk about wild horses. You're talking about that. If, That's if, funny if, you bring that up. I was just going to, it's an anecdotal story, but but it's real life, right? And sometimes that's where you learn your best lessons. But what, two years ago, Chance drew pretty much the most coveted tag in the state of Nevada, at least in northern Nevada, 014, the Granites, right? I mean, how pumped were all of us when he drew that tag? Yeah. And that was by far, I can't think back to any time in my life that I had a harder time hunting mule deer. And uh, I mean, we covered every inch of that mountain. Uh, weather didn't help us either, but I mean, we had a hard time seeing mule deer, period. Not not just bucks, not just does. We just had a hard time seeing mule deer. I can count on both my hands the amount of mule deer that we saw. We saw a ton of horses, which is a conversation maybe for later on or for another day. But what happened towards the end of that trip? Um, if you guys are fans of the show, you, you saw it in real time, uh, 2 o'clock or so, one thirty in the afternoon. We had two healthy, grown mountain lions coming to a coyote stand, you know, and we, we actually with had a coyote, coyote. with the coyote coming in, you got the, you know, interesting to see that the behavior in the wild, but that pretty much put it into perspective once again. And, and the fact that it was captured on film. Well, not I only that, they, he was so, coming, they were coming to a rabbit call. To a, yeah. To a rabbit l- call. Letting us know that there is no deer left in that right. area. If right. there was, if they were hungry and still feeding on deer, well, didn't you they want to be coming guys, in at two o'clock? You guys to a came down call. off the mountain, right? Because you were having out of the fog, there, yeah. And there was yeah. Well, there wasn't a lot of deer sign up where the deer would be, and that where you guys were hunting deer is where the the cougars should be. And now all of a sudden you're down in the flat, what I call the flatlands. You, I would never imagine to see a cougar where you guys called them yeah, in. Think about day. how adaptable that animal is to be there, two of them hunting together, following food sources and looking for whatever they can you know, scrounge up essentially because they essentially have decimated that herd that's on one of the, one of the best mountain ranges in this state. So, uh, and going back to the predator management, they kill out every, a lot of those deer, the endow flies endow and other corporations fly that area, a lot of areas to take out coyotes, to try to get that mule deer population back up. But it's just a revolving door of coyotes coming into that area and Chad touched on it earlier of the other things that coyotes and other things mountain lions do. If you don't keep them checked, then every day you, every day, Alex just sent me a, a story on it the other day. Coyote bites a kid at school, bites a kid at the here, in the, in the park. Sorry, excuse me. Um, it, it happens all the time. And that is part of living with the coyotes and coyotes living with us in the same area now. But if you look at where these happen, there's no check on them so if you go down to vegas it happens a lot if you go into california the mountain lions are attacking bikers on bike trails stuff like that where it has to be checked it has to be managed you, you, and you're never going to eradicate and you don't want to eradicate any species but if you don't control that number the disease takes over the human conflict takes over and you know all the bad things that happen with a natural predator start to happen and encroach on our society i'm not we're we're not wearing capes out here you know stopping mountain lion attacks and things like that however 
if you can thin that herd down, that population down, we do minimize the risk in my opinion. I, well, yeah. And it's, 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 you look at the formats that we use to harvest animals and I've heard several quotes and, and you guys can touch on this, but to kill, to, to kill a predator is a responsibility in my opinion. And I I've seen videos posted lately of kids out making predators suffer because they're a predator. Well, if you, lose sight of the fact that the coyote is the baddest ass animal on the planet and could adapt to anything and kill anything at any time, anywhere. They're an awesome hunter. Now they're not the most highest success rate for a, for a predator. I, I think it's the, the, the wild dog in Africa has the highest kill rate. If he goes out 10 times, he's killing like seven out of 10 times. Piranhas are like number two. Coyotes are like number five. Cougars are like seven. And there's research to do on that. I might, I might not be saying it exactly how it is, but these animals are the most respectable animals there are. We can't look at like, oh, let's go out and make them suffer. And that's not what being a predator hunter is. But there are different formats of hunting that people look at, like trapping. Well, you go set a trap line and that, that animal gets in that trap with a foothold and he sits there for 24 hours. Well, it's mandated in the laws and the regulations of being a trapper in states that you have to check your traps every 24 every 48 hours or every 72 hours because of that reason it's the ethics behind it are if that animal's trapped in there we're going to eradicate we're going to kill that animal and harvest it so it's not suffering in that trap then there's the thing about chasing cougars with dogs right you have dogs chasing cougars through snow they get on a trail they get on a scent and they chase that well to see a cougar in the wild is almost nil and none you we've been in the you're a chucker hunter JR, how many cougars do you see in the wild? I'll tell you what, and that comes up a lot. People are like, how many mountain lions have you seen? And there, I've smelled them. I've been so close. I've seen tracks. You can smell that ammonia. I'm like, there's, and the hair on your neck stands up. Never seen one. I've seen plenty of bobcats, coyotes. But those mountain lion, I'll tell you what, they, if, if you see them, they made a mistake. Hey, I've been chucker hunting since before I could buy a hunting license and, and, Coyote, just pure outdoors my entire life. I don't think I've ever seen one in the wild as far as just crossed its path. Which is fine with me. Right, me too. And I, I abalone dive every once in a while, and the last thing I want to see is a great white shark. You know, I, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I've seen one, and it was on Peavine, and I was up there taking pictures of deer when I first started getting into taking pictures of wildlife and filming them. And I was up there, and just a little twitch of the twelve, t- twitch of the tail tip of the tongue um, yeah twitch with the twail twitch twitch of the tail and he knew he messed up that he let me see him and he just froze there's such there's just, there's just such insane. an there's such an awesome animal but put it into this perspective now you have guys that will say what are you doing chasing a cougar with a dog P- things have been outlawed in the state of california like treeing bears i'm just not fast enough yeah right <laughs> i can't run through foot deep snow you and i did your mountain lion hunt chat out how could you get through that snow any other way? I mean, you, you, there's no to way do, to do to it. To do what Trevor does at, at, at Bull Ridge and, and the, these cougar hunters do. And I mean, it's just such a different mindset to be able to scale those mountains the way they do following those hounds. I've been on two or three of them and it's just a, it's, it's an incredible adrenaline rush. And here's what I've always said, and I'm not afraid to say it. The last thing I get off on is that actual trigger pull because I, I'll, I'll say it again. It's sad when I walk up and see that cat in the tree because my emotion as a freaking hunter takes over. And if you don't get emotional about it, then you shouldn't do it. 
And when I see a cat laying in a tree, I'm not sitting there going, you're a murderer and I'm going to kill you because you smoked nine mule deer does in the last seven days. I don't think like that. That's his right to go smoke those mule deer because that's what he does. That's what she does. And a, a female cougar is a lot more dangerous than a, than a, than a, a Tom cat. They're a little bit, you know, they have the reputation of being lazy, but you talk about the, the, the ways that people hunt and I'll go back to it all the time. There's different ways of hunting and fishing. And that's, what's so awesome about it. Let me and, just and say this before hold you on switch one, Hold on one okay. sec. I'm not switching topics is that if you're in Saskatchewan hunting a world-class whitetail and you see pictures of guys and they're like, and everybody's like, man, look at that big ass whitetail you killed. And let's go eat the backstrap. And it's, it's, but dude, they bait them with hay. They literally walk out of the woods because that's the only way you're going to see a big whitetail in the, in the, in the bush of Saskatchewan. I've been there. It's not like you get on a ridge in Nevada and glass out across a plateau and find a, a, a 190 inch mule deer buck with eight does on the rut and put a stock on him. You have to bring them out. It's the same with bear hunting. You guys watch archery bear hunts on TV all the time. I used to go, God, I would never do that. And I probably wouldn't. But that's how they do it in Canada. They fill up a barrel with bait and they bring the bears because that's how they control that population. They're not putting a dent in them. So there's well, a difference. Just, it's control. It's control. And it's, a, it's not that we want to be control freaks. We're just managing populations. Go ahead. Well, what we, yeah, what you, we learned a long time ago is we, you don't eat your own, right? You don't criticize because it kind of is. You, you, you look at but it's a different area of the world. It's a different area of the country. And you can't criticize we're all on the same team we're essentially doing it for the most part we're doing it for the right reason so you know there's plenty of people that are going to criticize what we're doing for all the wrong reasons but you know you never want to eat your own and 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 knock the guy that's baiting the bear because but you a lot of times that's the way you do it and you also never see a hunter uh go to a vegetarian parade and protest Oh, yeah, well, and that's a little bit of out. I don't even know if there is a vegetarian parade, but if you're a vegetarian, I'd like to go to it. <laughs> it but yeah, Jim would cook some it good on his trigger. <laughs> but but uh, I mean, think about it. We're hunters aren't out there going, don't do that. You're wrong for thinking that way. I don't care if you're a vegan. I hope that you would eat a an elk back shot and go, damn, I've been missing this my whole life. But I don't care because I I want to make sure that there everybody has that mindset that we got to we're. we're all cut from the same fabric in one way, but we have the ability and the right to think different ways. And if you don't respect or appreciate or agree with hunting, and and, and there's something that's gone on in the last two weeks with Cameron Haynes. He's a he's a uh, an extreme marathon runner and an archery hunter. Very very good at what he does. And Saturday Night Live ran a skit um, during the weekend update where the and I don't know if you guys saw this, but the announcer said hunting came up and they have a deer up there and his joke and i i, I can't quote it um was um hunting's always been fair or hunting's a sport they, that's what it was is that hunting is considered a sport and they're saying oh yeah i've never really seen a, be- a deer get hit with a bullet and then say hey good game or two four six eight who do we appreciate and cameron haynes made a video of him sitting there with this in the background and made comments about how they're going after a certain group of knowledgeable educated well-rounded individuals that make up the hunting community or a majority of the hunting community. And they're putting it into a context that we're just out there murdering animals for our, for this need to, to keep driving that, that, that blood in our body that if I don't kill something today, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. And that's not how we are. There are large voter blocks in this country. And this goes back to why the electoral vote. I don't want to get too serious about this, but there's large voter blocks in these cities that these folks have never seen a state like ours and got out and, and they've driven past it on highway 50 saying, this is the ugliest state I've ever seen. Yeah. 
And you get back in these canyons, and you're like, these people are crazy. This is the most beautiful country, God's country in Nevada, in my opinion. Well, you're going back to something that we were talking about earlier that we didn't quite touch on is, you know, we Reno's a growing place. And I, in the business I'm in, physical therapy, I meet a lot of people and a lot of new people in this area. And we get on the, the idea of hunting and camping and that type of stuff. And, you know, one of the first questions I always ask somebody is, you know, camping as in, I mean, do you hook up? Is there a hookup? You know, because... <laughs> I think camping to us is not that. And they even people who actually do venture into the outdoors, you know, that's always a good kind of a first line question is, is, you know, do you hook up to camp? Cause we don't, where we go, we don't, we want to get away from people. We want to get out and see the great outdoors. And, um, it, it just, it, Further oh, I thought it was pre- like a dating site, like, right. like the camping hookup. That, yeah. Hey, are we on lot lizards? Are we, are we on to something here? Yeah, are we on to something here? Have you ever heard of Tinder, Clint? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, on that point, if you go back to what we're trying to talk about, predator management, people, and I think they even talked about it with Cameron Haynes and maybe even on Joe Rogan's um, podcast when they were talking, that you go to Edmonton and very bustling town, city, and there's those people that have never been in the outdoors, never been 100 miles north of there where things are drastically different in the same area. And they're trying to outlaw wolf hunting in there. But if they just ventured up a hundred miles North where the people live off the land, they have their cattle, they make money doing other stuff outside of the city. They would probably gain a whole new respect of why that wolf has to be checked. And now there's some spots where you don't even need to tag. You can go kill as many wolves as you can because they're so unchecked. And you bring that back to the States where they reintroduce the wolf to what Yellowstone and now what's happened to the elk population gone, gone. And there's, and, and I, anytime you introduce populations to an area, that's when we manage, that's when management is most crucial, right? Yeah. Well, it's not, at, yeah, it's look. not of these wild places out in the middle of nowhere that humans don't see that manages itself. When humans come in and take up real estate, now we need to manage the wildlife. So we're managing wildlife because you're developing property. So who's at fault, the developers or the hunter, you know, it's let's, let's get to why we are managing it. Yeah. And think about, think about how, how just the the simple sport of golf and how popular it is in America. I mean, how many freaking golf, I could look at it easily every day and go, how many more golf courses do we need in a 50 mile radius? But that's not my call. (laughs) If I'm a developer and I have buku bucks in the bank and I'm looking to make some money, that's my that's my ability or my right in America to be able to invest in a golf course or build a golf course. That's how the world goes round. We can't sit here with our clothes on and our nice headphones on and shoot this Benelli and this Savage rifle and think that we're we're doing something that's not based on civilization and growth and development. If the factories didn't have a shop to make the guns, then we would be still shooting with a stick and, and arrow, which that's still done in, in America every day, or a slingshot or whatever, or, or spear hunting. There's different abilities out there now because of advancement in civilization and development. And that's a great point, Jim, is that what's more responsible for animals being in the position that they are when they do need to be in that controlled situation is a lot of it has to do with humans moving into that area. And I don't and, want to give anybody any ideas about blocking access or anything like that because that's a whole other exactly. road we could go down. It's a, it's a yeah. hu- that's a, It's a huge debate when you get into... Um, keeping public lands public. It's a big initiative in America and it always has been, and it should be. 
our public lands are very important to us. And it's, we've seen how it affects us just like when it goes to a wilderness area that puts a lot of stress on a hunter of being able to hunt in that, in that wilderness area because of the access and the ability to get into there and the machinery that you're allowed to use. So just imagine if that, that was made private and we weren't allowed to go onto that land anymore. Well, uh, in Nevada, the, our amount of BLM land here yeah. that we're allowed to access with the drop of a hat, it's amazing. And Largest we, we, in the country. We should yeah. never take that for granted. So when you hear those words, keep public land public, we should all as hunters, fishermen, conservation, skiers, snowboarders, photographers, at, anybody, anybody that yeah. wants to go and be themselves, we have to fight for that. And we have to pay attention to that. And that's what I love about, uh, about our community of hunters is that we understand that and we're not selfish about it because I don't want to get into a position. Where I, I understand there's leases and there's private property and people buy up ground and build hunting land on it and build hunting preserves. That's their right guys. If we had the money, we might do the same thing. That's there's a the hundred acres in Boise that you and I need to look at. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and that's, and I, and I, and I, I have some properties we all do. And we, we love the ability that we do have our places to go, but without our public lands, without our mar, our public marshes, without our ability to go up to the Jackson mountain range and walk up and see the wildlife that you can see, we'd be crazy not to well, fight for our public lands. And that's, that's really what you're talking about when you yeah. have development and people building homes and people moving into these animal spaces, picture the granite mountain range with Summerlin or a big development on it. It would suck. It would suck, but that's the, what will happen if we don't keep fighting the way the good fight that we're fighting as a hunter and a conservationist, we'll lose all that ground. And, and we have to look at it that from predator management to growth and everything that goes into what our world is made up of, you can't sit here and tell me you're an idiot for shooting a coyote. And that's what this is all going back to, in yep. my opinion, is that we're doing something that is preserving a game animal or a different species or land or whatever. There's a reason for predator management. And I don't want to get off the track or that theme today. We're, get, we, we're talking about a lot of different things because a lot of things that are happening in our everyday life go back to that common theme of what, of, you know, development and people building into the different wildlife areas of our, of our state of Nevada, wherever you live at, we have to keep in mind that everything that is, that we're talking about today from the fun times at camp to getting our kids involved in the outdoors is based on our ability to make a mark right now. Like Cameron Haynes did on that, on that post that he made, we have to keep fighting for that. We can't let some comedian just go on national TV and bash hunters and think it's okay. And and if you took it to the, to the, very far extreme don't predator hunt don't control the mountain lion population watch your chucker numbers dwindle i i spoke Ugh. to a guy yesterday that said in the 90s i started sporting clay shooting because there were no chucker and i'm not going to say that was because of predator but it's a factor and weather's a factor and all these things are a factor and, and pressure you, i mean our, yeah, what and, we're seeing out in the in our state now is pressure for right birds. but all of it right so if you can pile all those factors, too many predators, too many hunters, too much land, you know, being taken by development or whatever, you know, if you don't control some of it, you're going to be in a bad spot and you don't get to enjoy camp anymore. You know what I mean? And then everybody's going to be going, what do we do now? Right. Like, wh you gotta, wh what do we do? You got to control where, where all of go? it, actually, not just some of it. You got to control all of it. Right. If, if you, if you put it into perspective of what the outdoors mean to somebody, then, I think that antis or non-hunters or the comedian that made the bad joke on Saturday Night Live, I think they owe it to themselves 
to at least get an understanding of if you let, if you're a comedian that's making money, making people laugh, then I hope that you would be smart enough to at least educate yourself on a topic before you drop a line like that. Because in the long run, you're really, I like Saturday night live. I have a lot of respect for Lauren Michaels. Eddie Murphy came from there. I mean, you name it. You talk about the top people that we watch from Chevy Chase to Steve Martin. I mean, they came from Saturday Night Live. I'll never watch it again. And not because I'm not because I'm like, oh my God, I, 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 hunting is so important to me and that guy made fun of my hair. No, they did it because it, it's, the, it's the reason, the reason that I'm not going to watch anymore is that they allowed for that to happen. And I know that we have a right to, a right to say anything that we want in the world. But it was the most uneducated response that I've ever seen about that we're just out there shooting deer for the hell of it. And it's a sport that we're trying to win a championship belt of. And I was like, man, that's crazy to me to even let that they allowed him to say that because I'm not going to spend money to go see that guy if he ever gets famous as a comedian. And, and, and I think that you have to be very careful in your stance on things to where I understand believing in something and having the right to believe in and, and, and standing on your box and, and promoting it and saying what you believe in. But that guy doesn't believe in that. He was reading a script of some comedian living in a cubicle in Manhattan, New York, that wrote that down, that's never been in the canyons of northern Nevada or Montana and actually experienced what wildlife does for us. And that's why I don't respect it because it was just so off the whim. I was like, are you kidding me? And as hunters, we need to realize that the reverse side of that, when you're driving down the road and yeah, you're so proud of that buck you shot or that elk you shot and you display it going down the road. Not everybody wants to see that. No. So have respect for that other side that it isn't on board with hunting. hundred percent. And don't give them the ammunition and take care of your game and, and keep it away from those folks. And I think we have a responsibility as hunters to, we don't need to throw that in their faces as either. Yeah, so I think it's, uh, you got to be respectful of everybody. And, and I agree with what you're saying. It's not. Uh, so what you're trying to tell me is that you kill an 85 inch antelope at the end of August, you're not going to drive through Burning Man with it hanging out of... Maybe Burning Man. <laughs> but, but think about Some it. Some people you want to offend. <laughs> yeah. But, no, but see, that's the thing. Is that no, I, I would not. The mindset is this. Burning Man is looked at as like this big event out in the Black Rock Desert that's just a bunch of naked people running around doing drugs. Not true. It is a money-making, badass, entrepreneurial thing that Larry Harvey started in San Francisco and has built into this worldwide phenomenon that people come from all over the world to attend it. Up to, upwards of 75,000 people are on that desert this year. And as a hunter, we could go, oh my God, they're using our natural resources. That's our desert. That's our land. But we don't. We sit there and go, come on, man, bring that money into our community. Make Bruno and, and the Selmy family more money in Gerlach. Because without Burning Man, a lot of those towns like Gerlach don't have much more income except from what? Chucker hunters and deer hunters and people that go through it's, there on a constant basis, keep it alive. So as a hunter. Crazy. My as, pecan budget. Yeah. My pecan budget. So I, <laughs> as a hunter, I sit there and go, and a businessman, I want to look at Larry Harvey and go, man, how in the hell? Did you build something to get 75,000 strangers? And we've had big companies come to Nevada because they were exposed to Nevada because of that event. Yes. Yeah. That's what's amazing. I mean, so, it's, it's, it's crazy. You touched on it earlier, and it's a prime example. You'll never see a hunter out there protesting Burning Man. No. And I love we Burning Man. I, I, I've, I've, I've worked at Burning Man. I, I've met Larry Harvey. I've met the senior staff. I, I sit there and go, man, this is a business. Think about us sitting at this table. If we started a business 
I think Burning Man started in 1996 or 97 in San Francisco County, and they moved it to the Black Rock Desert because they got been kicked even off earlier of the be- than that. No, I think it's about 96, yeah, 97. Right. But they got kicked off the beaches in San Francisco when he put together some driftwood and lit it on fire because his girlfriend <laughs> broke up and he wanted to burn her, burn her out of his soul. And a homeless man saw him do it, and they started drinking out of a brown bag together. They met there the next year. I might not have all my facts straight, but they got kicked off because too many people came on the beaches. He went on a search. It was the Bonneville Salt Flats, Black Rock Desert, and I think somewhere in Germany. He picked Nevada. They've been here since like 1999 or 2000. And local economy here during that event and the months leading up to it is through the roof. From portable toilets to law enforcement to you you name it hotels there's people making money off that's going crazy because of the burning man event so for a hunter to go in there and go we want them out of here dude it's freaking 10 days man and i've never once a salt flat and i've never once but but think about what goes into that salt flat you got all the traffic you have all the ability for accidents to happen. There's barely any accidents at Burning Man with 75,000 people out there. They barely have an incident out there. That shows you the respect and the, and the, and the, the professionalism by that organization to run an event. So as a hunter, I look at it and go, kudos. That's awesome. But the anti's, anti-Burning Man guys would be like, oh my God, we want well, them out of here. This is what, crazy. What's awesome, and I think we've all seen it, Gerlach is our jumping off point to a lot of places in Nevada. And... Uh, that's right when antelope season starts up and that's right when burning man starts up and we have this coming together of different cultures. And when I've come home from antelope camp, I go to every year, there is all these burning man bead stores or whatever. And then right before that, there's a stand that these guys will skin out your antelope and take it and uh, do the taxidermy on it. It is hilarious. It's, it's 100% responsible for the real tree thong. Yeah. <laughs> no, no doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if you, but if you, if you put it on the same perspective wearing one, actually. of what we're talking about today is that we as hunters don't protest that event and they are doing that event in our country. We drive across that area to get to predator calling stands antelope hunting mule deer hunting we i mean there's sheep up there there's cattle up there there's cowboys there's a bunch of different people that are use accessing that land and using that land we do never and in all of 15 years or however long burning man's been here 18 20 years i've never seen a protest by ranchers or farmers or hunters or conservationists like i hope as a hunting community that we look at it and go that's their right man they are living the dream because they built a business out of Burning Man. And it is literally a worldwide phenomenon. And we have guys like Tom that, that work for us that, that have been out there taking photography. Um, Tom's not a hunter. But if you talk to him about Burning Man, he looks at it. He looks at it like, wow. It really is a wow factor event. And I, and I give all the, all the respect in the world to that organization and that company. And, and, and I know that we're off track a little bit. But the reason Burning Man was brought up is that it's done in hunting country. And, I, and the reason I went there is that we could have the ability to protest that, but we're not. And Burning Man is their duck camp, is their deer camp, yeah. is their coyote hunting camp. Yeah, they you know, say that's that, their camp. They say that people save up all year to go to Burning Man. There's guys that look forward to that all year, getting their RV ready, getting their camp ready, their theme camps. You got hitchhikers that come there from across the country, from New York, wherever. Yep. We, we saw a guy in Cedarville <clears throat> four or five years ago. He had ridden his mountain bike from Oregon to Nevada. I mean, he, he crossed two states basically and 
<laughs> we have the, we well, have you the can go from Oregon. Actually, you can go from Oregon and Nevada. It's just one state. Well, I think he, oh, he went. went. Uh, he went through Idaho. To, yeah, <laughs> he needed to get a either. sack of potatoes. He needed a map. Is what he needed. I didn't graduate from geography <laughs> he had school. A different map. Right. Remember, remember the guy in Gerlach that uh, was in Gerlach out in the middle of nowhere without a ticket. Without hoping. Right. He's there just hoping and asking us if we had a ticket as we passed through town. So yeah, there's a little bit of a. But the reason I brought that up is that Jim Ray brought. I remember when I was a kid and I'd be like, Dad, I want to put my mule deer on the truck and show it off. And as a kid, you're thinking that's pretty cool. But out of respect for different people, why give them ammunition by hanging a dead deer head off the back of a truck doing 70, you know, down the highway? It doesn't make sense. And now that and now that you got Burning Man out there, and you have these different mindsets out there that might not be for hunting. They want to protect the animals. They want to. They have this whole different mindset. We got to respect that mindset. So don't give them any more fire than they already have or they already think they have. Respect it. But that event it just happens to be in the middle of diehard hunting country, and we've made it work for twenty years now. Almost twenty years that event has worked. And it literally, tell me if I'm wrong, Jim, it's right in the middle. The granite, I mean, every... Oh, it's uh, smack dab in the middle of my chucker country, for sure. Clint and I, or and Clay, were out there antelope hunting three years ago. I had the 015 tag, and they had a huge spotlight going up, just like on the top of the Luxor in Vegas. And when we were sitting around our campfire listening to the three-chord cowboy... You could see, you know, you could see the Burning Man spotlight going up to the deal. I mean, it, we're sharing the same country. The and, one other thing I'd say about the Burning Man people just ties in is we've been broke down on the side of the road. If you're not out in the country and you don't get a flat tire, you're just not doing it right. But uh, a Burning Man crew will stop and ask you for help. Real generous people, you know, and it's or more, if you need help, you know, if right. You more help. likely than not, they're the ones that actually slow down and roll their window down and see if you're all right. Whereas a lot of times you'll see that cattle truck drive by and they never even slow down. So, I mean, that's just, just one other example. How you tie it all back together is how old Uncle Avor would come pull you out of a uh, mud hole in his tractor if you happen to take the wrong road out to Burning Man. You still haven't done his voice. I, I'm, I, I, I'm having trouble <laughs> digging down. I, the one line that I want to say, I don't know if I'm allowed to say on a podcast, <laughs> where in the, did I get a white-faced gal? I mean, that's a, that's the that, that should be on a T-shirt We might somewhere. as well tell that story, huh? Yeah. You think you think about what we just said, what you got what literally what we just talked about for the last ten minutes is as a hunter and you're like, That's my property, that's my land. No, it's not. It's BLM, it's public. And and for us never to raise a stink about that event being right in the middle of it, that shows you our character in my opinion, that we respect that event. Well it's, that's here's something getting to think off about. getting off the Burning Man event and talking about sharing lands is what one thing i've noticed in the last few years and, and i'm sure you guys have too with coyote stands and things like that is when i first started hunting chucker you'd get up at nine o'clock go find any canyon in nevada and go hunt with the this population coming in now there's folks that think it's okay to come park right next to you and hunt the same canyon you're in and and i used to get pretty upset and leave some notes and maybe make sure a guy's tire wasn't completely full when he got back but now that I realize they just don't know any better, they're, they're coming from a populated area they hunt, and that's just common practice. They, they're not used to this wide open space, and they, I don't know how to educate them better than maybe just leave a note. But Or maybe, you know, you, you introduce yourself and talk to them about the, the ethics of, of, of a hunter. Or I do, I do do that, and it, I don't think they, <laughs> they don't take on to My tone's away. a little. Strong what is the word I'm looking for? Like when you, when somebody's in their backswing, you don't yell out their name. 
what's that word I'm looking for to where you have Baba Booey? <laughs> <laughs> we got that in, didn't we? <laughs> there we go. Uh, no, but you know the word I'm looking for to where there's there's like protocol etiquette. on a golf course. What etiquette? Etiquette. 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 Yeah, oh, a- that's weird that Chad <laughs> didn't know that word. <laughs> He knew the he knew the where every predator ranked in their kill ratios, but he including piranhas. <laughs> but what's that word? Starts with an E. My mom, I don't know. It's like horses, but etiquette. etiquette. I'm, but it, there is an etiquette to things, and that's what you're talking about. Like when you're in a marsh, in a public marsh, and you're hunting a hole, you don't expect somebody to come up 50 yards from you and throw a decoy spread out. But it's happened. But it does, and it happens. And 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 Jim's got the right mindset. I think is that. You either take a chance of raising hell, starting a fight. You got loaded weapons involved. You have kids involved that might be seeing how that's, you're acting. That's when we've I never st- done that, by yeah, the way. Never. Yeah. But well, I stopped getting upset when I started taking my kid hunting. And I'm just like, because I want to teach him how, one, not to be me. And two, the right way to handle certain situations. And, and one of them is, hey, we'll just go to another spot. There's plenty of them here. Or if you do run into the guy, I do try to explain it in a friendly manner that, hey, there's plenty of BLM land here. We don't need to park next to each other in this this area. And Well, I mean, it's public land. If you get there first. It is what it is. And that's the absolute truth. Be a certain etiquette, if yeah. you get there at first, the hunting etiquette should say, it's just like in a goose field. If you're hunting a public land and you get there and there's a guy set up in there, you don't just drive in there and set your spread up, like I said. In a hunting situation in a canyon and you drive in there and there's a four-wheeler or a truck parked there already, you got beat to the punch, man. This guy might have woke up at 3.30 to get up there because he got a he he knew that there was a huge antelope or a mule deer in there or a good pu- chucker population. Man. Leave and go find your own place. We've hey, had I, some – there's some fun stories about that too. Like when, when I first started duck hunting and it was a lot less people, I remember there was a kid in our class that, in high school that was just murdering – well, maybe just harvesting a ton of ducks and geese. And I was like, where the heck is he going? And I remember me and my buddy, John Hanna, who was my go-to hunting partner, we parked outside his house one night at 3 in the morning with our lights off. And when he got ready to roll, we it was a FBI tail. And we tailed him all the way down to Urington and figured out exactly where he was going and in the next weekend, we were there before he was. <laughs> I, I always. You guys are incredible. Right. Never, I would never does, do that. He does the same thing to me. He comes over here. He watches me cook on the trailer. And then his, he, I literally hear people say, hey, Jim made me this recipe. And I'm like, what? That's oh the exact God. same freaking thing. Uh, and he I, called it his recipe. Yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, that is the exact same thing I cooked for him a week ago. Uh, honestly, I had duck stir fry at Jim's house the other night. And it was <laughs> Unbelievable! Was, I don't know where he oh, got the recipe. The, the duck Jim yeah. is what we call it. That's what that sounds Asian. <laughs> wow. Duck Chad just doesn't sell. Duck Jim. You, you got to say cha. You take the D off if you want to do it with Chad. Duck, duck cha. Um, if that, that's kind of hard to come back off. Right. Off if of you that could one. rebound from that, you'd have the most successful podcast. Well, I'll go back to what we were talking about. Is Jim brought up kids? You know, all of us are parents here. Uh, Alex is. A Alex new is. Parent. He just doesn't know it. He's a, well, and he's new he hasn't French. met him yet. <laughs> well, I got a new French bulldog. I was going to say he's got a new French bulldog, so he qualifies. But uh, you I know, named the, him Pecan for Nevada, in case you guys are ever wondering. What a great name! Did you really? That is oh, yeah. a classic uh, name. Uh, right in, there. In, in memory of Bruno. 
A little bit, yeah. Not a brutal. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, we're all parents. So, you know, the way I feel about it is it's our responsibility to, you were talking about that story earlier about the kid that posted on YouTube, you know, torture and essentially the coyote, right? You know, and how that's just a red flag and that's going to be posted, you know, and just you know, similar to displaying your, uh, your horns. Well, that's the, what it, your, it gives us a bad. Right. You bad display rap. the dead animal in the back of all that kind of stuff. It gives them ammo, right? So it's your, it's our responsibility to teach our kids the right way, right? I mean, that's, that is a responsibility, but we're, we're getting into the topic of, you know, how can we change minds or how can we make people see the world that we're never going to do that. No, we, but what Chad was talking about with the Burning Man, what we can do is we can, and we have, I think Chad really, we have, we have the privilege, right? You have a platform where you can go out. Yeah. You can educate people, right? I mean, you can, and you can try to change their mind, but at the end of the day, it's probably not going to happen. But what you can do is you can have a platform and you can kind of tell people, this is the way we do it. This is why we do it the example of the burning man and how everybody kind of copes and gets along is actually a really good example of maybe that's where we go in the future. You know, the average person who might be an anti hunter might also have something in common with eating, you know, wild game, essentially. Right. Going, going that route, free, free range, you know, free range, what are, you know, organic, or, organic, organic, organic. Yeah. organic, you know, so there, there's things that are going to tie you back together and it's stuff. It's like and I Uncle think that's, Ted Nugent, right? Free range, organic yeah. food. But that, you know, that, that, that's it's the way of going sustainable. about it <laughs> <laughs> is you're not changing people's minds, but you can at least respect where they're coming from. And hopefully at some point in the future, you can get that respect back. But it really, what we can control is we can control the people around us. We can control our family. We control our kids and we can teach them the right and the wrong way to do it. And then hopefully you don't have a millennial kid that probably wasn't shown the right way. Right. I mean, probably is not the word. He wasn't showing the right Are way. Are you pointing at and Chad? You know, what, no, the kid, oh. on, the kid on his phone, oh. you know, Instagram yeah. it's, it's, it's so <clears throat> what I get out of what Clint's saying is this, is that going back to the Saturday night live skit and how we all, I, I think it's safe to say everybody at this table loves comedy I, you know i'm sitting with alex and jim right now and they're two of the funniest guys in our circle for the last 20 years along with bill down. burr well i mean bill burr's a genius in my opinion his comedy's on a different level alex who's but... bill burr <laughs> never heard of her <laughs> bill these guys are just kidding if you hear this <laughs> think about think about what you could do as a hunter i mean as a group of guys we're not going to go and demonstrate at the burning man we're not going to go to a different kind of lifestyle parade and demonstrate. We're not going to go and say, Saturday Night Live, you should be ashamed of yourself. Every week you make fun of everybody from our president to our vice president, to their wives, to people that are waking up every day with the their faith, their faith. They make fun of so much stuff on that show. And you never see a hunter get on a blog and go, I am offended by Lauren Michaels and his crew at Saturday Night Live for what they said about Donald Trump last night. That's their, I don't care what they say. Let them do it. We have our beliefs. They have our beliefs. We're not going to go get on a soapbox and go, you guys should be kicked off the air because you know what? It's a waste of breath. Well, I think as long as you make fun of everybody, you're okay. I mean, that's the mindset. But right? if, but <laughs> if, but if you, if you think about it, that show is literally able to get on national TV every week and make fun of everything in the world everything in the world and then they have the audacity to just come in and make a comment that is way off key way off key about hunters and what we really do and that's different than just a joke to us and yeah we can go ha ha look at that but what's what, what the problem with it is and why i think cameron did what he did and took it to the level or the extent that he did is that 
there has to be a boundary somewhere where if you were just making fun of hunting on there and you just showed a, a, a weird redneck with a chew in his mouth and he's dressed in camouflage and talking funny and da 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 that's one thing. Who cares? But to actually say that we're murderers and that we're doing it for sport and to win a chance, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. That's not a joke. That's that's off limits to me in a, in a way. And, and I think that as a hunting group, I'm proud to say that we don't stand up and go, you know what, you guys are crazy or you guys are nuts or you guys shouldn't be allowed to be on TV because you're making fun of everybody every every time you get on TV. We just don't have it in our mindset. We don't have time in our day because we're too busy protecting wildlife, you know, populations. Working. And working and, and making a living well, to go out and enjoy our life. That's why we're called the silent majority, right? Because we don't stand on a soapbox. Yeah, and, and, it's why and, Donald Trump's president right, in a lot it, of ways. It, that's know? the reality is we, without going into deep politics is I'm please not don't. educated. Please enough. don't. I mean, I could hear Sammy Kershaw singing right. politics, religion and her. Right. And if you get Clinton clay on a rush, Limbaugh, I, I wouldn't mind if we do yeah. no, I'm I know, freak but, out, but I don't, I can't speak on it. Uh, but I do know when we feel offended, like we feel offended. And when we feel like our, you know, rights have been infringed on and things like that, that's when we come forward, we come forward in the right way. We don't come forward on the side of pyramid highway, protesting burning man. We come forward at the legislature. We come forward, you know, at our. Well, unfortunately, we're a little too too much uh, re- reactive. We should be more proactive, probably. But yeah, that's generally human nature, though. Yeah. I mean, not to not to take it lightly, but typically celebrities, you know, people who have a platform, they get involved in an issue when it affects them personally, right? They have a kid that has autism, which is a terrible thing, and now all of a sudden they're the the greatest advocate for autism, right? But they could care less about it until that kid was born. So I mean. You know, gen- that's one example of many. Yeah, but are you saying that? Are you saying that we should get involved in everything? Like all of a sudden, we should become an advocate for this charity and that charity. I get what you're saying, and and, and it's the way that we're. It, it would be awesome if we I, were. All- I think what Alex is saying is we're the silent majority. Meaning, I look around this table in the families that I know. Like I know your uncle Mel does more for sheep in this state than most guys can do right guzzlers and things like that i showed them boys where that deer was on yeah. that mountain but but but, but, but and, you- and we all put in our time at ducks unlimited and chucker unlimited and and these different organizations where our we're raising money and doing the where a lot of these antis they're don't say the what they're sacrificing maybe a talk show that day to go out and Pick up a well, sign. Let's not be afraid to say it. I mean, it's not a political uh, political argument. You you have PETA that is formed with lobbyists and lawyers and all these different walks of life from all over the world that are against hunting, people for the ethical treatment of animals. What are they doing for, let's say, the Rio Grande turkey in the state of Nevada? What are they doing to make sure that the sheep that we traded to Texas for turkeys, and are, what are they doing to make sure that that turkey population is 100% taken care of? Zero. They're just they're just talk, talking smack and saying it because they can because they have all the money in the world. And it's 100%. easy. It's an easy fight. It, and it, what's what's the solution is. that's ever been posed from a group like that? What what is the solution? Let's open the cages. Let's let all these, you know, farm animals run free. What what do you what is your solution to what your problem is? We we as hunters have a solution. Right. We you know we we inject money into the system. We build guzzlers. We manage predator populations. We manage our mule deer populations. We, we do things that 
actually help the problem. Yeah. We want to see more doing. animals that are right. well, game animals. In certain areas, there's more animals in white-tailed history. De- white-tailed deer. Because of conservation and what we do. And, 100%. And for them, they come out and they bird watch. They go take pictures. Which is great. Call, which is great, great. But they're doing it because of the land on the lands that we've helped protect because of the money that we've injected into it. But I'm also yep. not, I'm also Wetlands. not, I'm not going to be yep. in the mindset of, of making an excuse or saying that what a, a, for lack of better terms, a cattle slaughterhouse in garden city, Kansas. I've been to Kansas enough to know that there's a lot of cattle in that country, in that part of the country, in that state sure. that are being killed. And I don't make excuses for it because that's what those ranchers are making their livelihood well, off of. And that's what those cattle were raised for, was to go and be processed to feed America. And I, I love living off the land. I love eating an elk steak. I love going out, and I don't, process, I don't kill elk, but I eat every duck I kill, and I eat every piece of elk meat that's given to me by my buddies that do go elk hunting or deer hunting, and I appreciate all of it. But I'm not going to sit here and say, I'm not going to need a hamburger. Uh, yeah, I'm going to support the beef economy in America because I, I appreciate, respect, and support ranching and farming and what it does for not just our our bellies or for our, our families, but what it does for wildlife. Think about the nutrition and all of the, the, the advantages that farming provides for wildlife. If a cornfield is harvested and those cattle eat on it and that corn's harvested off of it, and it goes to sell, or they use it for silage to feed another cattle population. Do you know how many birds, how many ducks, how many geese, how many predators, how many whitetail, how many mule deer are 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 literally benefiting off of that nutrition from that those carbohydrates and that corn? There's so much that you could argue about of how hunting and farming and ranching and and everything goes together. I I want to make sure that we all understand that hunters are not going to go and say only live off the land. We're not trying to say that, right, Alex? You, well, you I, can't do it. I mean, you, th- there's very few people in the world that could sustain an entire living off of wild game. I mean, when 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 you talk about I'm going to eat every duck that I kill, I'm going to eat every chucker that I kill, you know, every deer that I kill. Absolutely. However, you could never live off that 365. You could never do it. And and. I don't think you'd want to. I think it's variety is the spice of life. You know, you want to have some chicken in your life. You want to have some beef in your life. I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say that you couldn't do it, but I also am going to agree to you the fact that I I do. I want a sirloin or you know what I'm saying? I want a ribeye. Yeah. I want a ribeye once in a while, but I also going to live off of the the meat that I harvest over the year and that my buddies harvest too. There are people out there that eat wild fish and wild game, 365, seven, you know, every, I, I don't, I'll be the first one to admit we do a lot. Yeah. We do our share, but it's not it's not our stance to go and say you got to live off the land. We don't believe in the beef of, uh, or the cattle population in America. What I just want somebody at this table to tell me if an anti says don't kill the cattle, what would happen to the cattle population in and anywhere from Brazil to Argentina? They to would America, die out of starvation. They would die they would of disease, eat. and they yeah, they, would, they would they would they would destroy themselves. Yeah. It would be bad, hundred yeah, percent. But because of then farming, the zombies come. Because of farming, or and, there could be wild cows. We could get a tag for. <laughs> <laughs> we already have that. That's buffalo. Yeah, and I'm not afraid to eat a wild horse if they would allow that. That's really? a true Italian, right there. I had some in Italy. Cavallo. It's not too bad. It's kind of sweet. Cavallo. 
We saved a little baby horse, and now I, so that's enough. With Norman, <laughs> I think everybody would probably have a pretty, pretty good idea that everybody around this table right now today at this life ain't for everybody is is in agreement that we're not know it alls. We don't have it all figured out. We appreciate and respect other people's stances, whether politically or Burning Man or somebody that might not agree with the hunting well, lifestyle. Yeah, and I agree with that. We are not know it alls, and those hunters out there that our self-proclaimed know-it-all stop yeah stop please respect other people's deal that hey we don't hunt and just leave it at that and that's a great segue into this and i'll start i'll start with clint if you know we we started with this and i want to get back to it right now of we're not know-it-alls but we are lucky enough to be able to do this enough that we've learned a couple tricks and tactics along the way of what works what may not work um if Clint, if I, if I'm load, if I'm going to a retail outlet and I want to get into predator hunting off the top of your head, what are the top five pieces of equipment that I want to put in my arsenal to up my success rate on that first stand? Ammo. My favorite ammo is 22, 250 hands down. Uh, most common is 223, but 22, 250 is a superior round. And it's uh, if you don't want wounded, Running away predators, you want to get a twenty-two, two fifty. So ammo, obviously your rifle, uh, Savage twenty-two, two fifty. Um, optics, uh, you know, aren't the most important thing as far as predators go, but uh, probably down towards let's see five. So uh, a seat, you know, as we get older, <laughs> you know, oh with with, with a Did back you just on it. Say that? Yes, yes, with <laughs> a back on it. Good padding. Wow. Good padding. I'd probably put that up uh, about two. Yeah, God, I, I, wish we could edit. I wish we could edit. If you'd that. asked me this last year, I probably wouldn't have put that in the top. What about five, a collar? What about a collar? Yeah, well, clothing, camo. Well, yeah, I know. A so seat. Know, top five. <laughs> top five. An experienced predator hunter says a seat. A seat. <laughs> hey, they used to kill geese over quartered out tires. Okay. You know, it can be, it, camo's not. Way yeah, that wasn't there. far before I started. Yeah, you're old. You're old. You're well, an old man. Well, when you say a seat, you 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 you're you know we're not. You want to be get not, serious. You want to be comfortable on stage. Well, we're right? not talking about a lawn chair or something that you kick back on. It's something that swivels. Something that you because here's the deal is that you can always have the mindset. I'm just going to place my butt right here next to this tree or next to the sagebrush. But turkey vests have always you know they've been designed to have a seat that un, unbuckles and flaps down. When you're in a duck hunt, you literally have. A, a bench or a, a ground blind sometimes that is literally like laying in a bed when you're on a deer stand it's not like they make them to where you just stand up the whole day you might be on stand seven or eight hours and a deer a deer stand has a seat on it so yeah i understand what you're saying with the seat as far as being able to sit down and if you're on a bobcat stand and you're committed to 45 minutes you're going to get in positions in your body sitting there in your hamstrings in your butt in different parts of your body that are going to get uncomfortable so having a comfortable seat with something that you yoga can, you know it's very important the more you think about it it actually should be in the top five because how many times you got up off a stand and your right legs oh numb, my god right or how do you the, get back to the truck duck hunting or fishing or anything or, when, right. the, or yep. when the animal presents that shot shot and you're in pain somewhere or you're aggravated somewhere or you're something's going to sleep on your body you want to be ready so i get what you're saying so you know clint saying Genius. clint saying a savage rifle, all right i i I'm, we buy it i take it back we buy it. So he's Ammo got- in a seat, and we're good to go. <laughs> you get a good pair of shooting sticks, and what sound are you going to make with nothing to make a sound? You know what, Clint? Uh, shooting sticks. That's I that's a that question way. for me. I 
I've had good experiences and bad experiences. What are the best, in your opinion, that best type of sticks to use for for predator hunting male, or male building fabrication? I, <laughs> I think you should have asked me. Sniper. Yeah, I should have. Do all outdoors and plug or not, they make an unbelievable adjustable bipod bipod i don't like the tripod the monos are good if you're good enough to use them are you good enough to use those i am okay i, I shoot a monopod but so the all outdoors bipod, bipod it's got a v top it's it's uh adjustable at the bottom in two different levels it's the best shooting stick that's ever come out do you kind of see where i'm going after with the question though is that you don't need a whole lot to go and experience and have fun that's on why a it's such hunting. a great activity right, right. To, to boil it down your dad's savage with some ammo that you stole from him, let's talk about a call. I mean, I, I think the, the the guys that are sitting at this table, if we were just to go hunt for fun, would probably hand call, mouth call. But, you know, a good a good e-caller, a good mojo, double trouble, or super critter or something like that. Huge, huge question there real quick. I want to interrupt you. Does it take you out of the hunt mentally if you're not – myself, if I was a duck hunter – and I didn't have the calling aspect of it. And I don't mean to sound like I'm on a high horse of like, I don't want to go on a duck hunt where I don't get to use my call. And I, maybe I'm not the most uh, proficient caller in the world. Maybe I suck, but I don't want to go on a duck hunt unless I get to. So if I'm on a predator stand, does it take me out of it emotionally and, and mentally if I just have this sound box out there rocking? I think ego wise <laughs> to call one in with a hand call, you know, is there's nothing else it's like anybody, tying your it, own flies anybody can push can push the button oh, number one the, but, but, but your two. success rate i i i think the success rate goes up with an e-collar and 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 maybe if i did more cardio like jim said but i don't want to blow that open read call for 15 minutes in a row i do yeah i know you do and and there's no greater I, high than than tricking me, one on a mouth call stop you about the calling and I wish you could, maybe you can't, I don't even know the rules, have an electronic duck collar. But when Chad Belding lived with me, he would walk around the house blowing a duck call. With clothes on. Eight now. hours a day. And it finally wore on me after about 20 days. Try it with a goose call oh in the studio. God. Eight hours a day. But when we're talking about calls, back to seriousness, <laughs> um, we were talking about calls. I, I see where Chad's going because I love hand calling you want to be a part of that hunt it makes you no greater high no greater height but there's it's a tool with with waterfowl hunting if you could use a a a duck electric call a lot of people would Mm -mm. no i'm saying if it was used as a tool as for asthmatics and people like that no no i'm saying as a tool as far as with coyote hunting there's different aspects of why you would use an e-collar wind putting it up wind if you, you know, coyotes come downwind to you. So you want to get that sound away from you movement. If they, if you're always calling in right there at your hand, they're going to spot you more apt than if you are using a knee collar that's up, upwind from Chad, no Chad, what so, is a, it's tough though. There's a learning curve. So it's hard to go out and be unsuccessful, unsuccessful. And we all do this with, with fly fishing and hunting and things like that. How long does it take an average guy to get good at calling coyotes or predators I, I i mean i've heard guys blow duck calls in a duck blind that would call in a coyote and yeah and, and i mean that in a serious way of this is that it's all in it, it like i hear some guys duck call and i i was that guy and i probably still am to some guys that are really awesome duck callers is you know 
what is he doing? What sound is he making? It doesn't take a whole lot to call a coyote in if you get a little bit high pitched or, you know, get some curiosity in their minds. Um, there's a lot that goes into the instincts, when to call, when not to call, when to lip smack, when to bark, stop them. All of that stuff is, is, is learned. But in predator hunting, I think it's cool because you can use an open recall, a close recall, a howler, a dying rabbit, a dying moose calf. There's so many different animals out there that coyotes or wolves or bobcats, you know, high pitch woodpecker sounds or, or bird sounds can attract coyotes or predators. Um, I, I look at it like Clay saying is a tool. Yeah, it is. It's, you, you know, if, if we're going to argue with the, the advancement of electronic callers and how realistic they are and how easy they make it, well, then don't use a bow and arrow. Don't use a gun, throw a rock at them and see if you kill them right. because that's how the caveman would have had to do it. I mean, or, or go make an arrowhead like our, like our native Americans did and use that to kill one. Well, I'm not going to argue that it's not advancement. I'm just talking about the emotional impact or the, the emotional attachment that you have to the sport. Um, when you're a chucker hunter, I don't want to go and sneak up on a bunch of chucker at a guzzler and just smoke them. I want to see a world-class pointing dog work. And that's my pride as a chucker hunter, right? Is your dog. Yeah. My dog is definitely the, I won't even shoot sometimes after a good point because you're in awe. Because I'm in awe. It it really, it it is amazing to watch. That's what I was saying is that the emotional attachment to hunting is what I'm getting after. That's what I want to, that's what I want to chase. Well, and what I think that there's so much information out there now with this interweb (laughs) and things like that, that when Chad, yeah, yeah. When Chad and I started duck hunting, there was a, a we watched a VH, we almost wore it out. The VHA duck commander, yeah, Phil and Coco. Phil and Coco. Yeah. And I remember you started getting on the phone calling it. You found their phone. They should have never put their phone number <laughs> on the back of that VHS tape. I'm still friends with Phil. Yeah. But uh, he would, uh, we would sit there and watch that and, and, and learn how to call. And that's, that was our experience. I don't know if I would hunt. When I went, when I went on my first real duck hunt, I've, I've hunted some geese, but wasn't allowed to call with you guys know who not going to say names mel um but <laughs> if you uh, over quarter tires taught that boy how to hunt if you uh remember when i went to the sleeper mine with you guys and i heard jim ray hit a little <laughs> and watched him turn that's what got me into hunting and that's why i brought up the question of of predator hunting is that all i ever see now of clay using is an electronic collar and, and and a lot of respect goes out to mike dillon and fox pro guys and terry Demon at mojo i love all that stuff i love the innovation but to me if i go on a, if if i said hey, let's go predator hunting tomorrow and you guys said well you're not allowed to hand call i wouldn't go there's just there's just nothing in it for You've me. You've loved it from the beginning though. Since we <laughs> since we started taking you duck hunting and you would call your mom in the duck boat and, or we didn't have cell phones. He'd be like, drop me off, I need to hike to that pay phone and call my mom because it's He's it's, not lying. It's gonna get dark. <laughs> and, and me and my buddy are just looking at it like, is this guy serious? I'm like, he kinda is. And uh uh but he just loved to call. You did. I mean, you were you were that one of those guys that just like this guy's gonna be a calling maniac but and 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 i think that to to discount the the e-caller you're you can be a purist in all in all forms of sports you can be a purist in the baseball field and and only use a wooden bat and you can be a purist in archery and only use a recurve bow um i think we lately we're driven by success right and i and i think not that Clay or Clint can't hand call as good as any e call out there, but 
our success has been dictated over the years by these, by this e-caller, you know, that literally Mojo had a very good or has a very good e-caller with, with a decoy on top with realistic sounds that produce results every time. And when you go back to our earlier talks of predator management and doing what you're doing, you want to be successful. There's and no way decoys work for predator hunting. Well, and I, you're never, yeah. gonna I was a horrible call. <laughs> roll I've the, never seen him knock him out of a, I love roll the tape of the dogs eating roll the tape. feather. Yeah, roll tape. I, I do love an e-call because I don't, I don't have the, with work and kids and sports, I don't have the luxury of getting out and doing it well, as much. Back to your and question. And so though. it is nice to pick up an e-call and hit a couple buttons and have some success. Here's the, here's the deal with that. Like what you're saying, you asked Chad, how do you get good at it, right? How how, do you, how long does it take? It does take a you long gotta time. You got to watch it's, how they it's respond. Successful. And, yeah. If you're not successful on one stand, you got to go to the next day. You got to go to the next. It's not going to come overnight, right? And that's where you're saying those weekend warriors go and hit. God the, dang go. it! Did you just call me a weekend warrior? Or what on coyote Ooh. hunting? On coyote hunting, that's, <laughs> you don't do a lot of coyote hunting. But and a lot of people are who are just getting into coyote hunting. They see the success of an e caller and they go hit number one. Right. They go hit number one. They go hit number one. Oh, it's not successful. Go hit number one. Well, the, the the next day I go to those same spots and I hit number one where they usually would command. Everyone's using that stuff. It, you know, if you take it back to waterfowl hunting when Bigfoot originally came out, full body decoys. Oh, yeah. And everyone bought them. Those oh geese gosh. come over, you know, however many years later, they were like, oh, that's a Bigfoot decoy. So you had to adjust. So everyone's using that. So if that everyone's using that e-caller, number one, number one, number one, number one, those coyotes get very educated. To Chad's point, when you do mouth call, you can change inflection. That If you hit number one, it's, it is what it is. There's no changing it. With mouth calling, you get you can put in a growl. You can put in you know your own inflection into the sound. You can put in your own intonation to where it, you, it makes it your sound your own sound and when you are successful that it just success i don't want i don't want want people to think my comment was based off of that e-callers are not right or they shouldn't be used or it makes it too easy well here's the deal is that i hunt over a mojo and people are like i'm a purist duck hunter a mojo is a tool if i was in a cornfield north dakota and i wanted to go kill ducks in the dry corn I would never kill one if I didn't have a mojo. Well, that's, that's not a true statement. You can kill them, but when you turn on a mojo, you're going to have one of the most powerful, memorable hunts of your hunting Remember career. when those first came out? Everybody was like, it was controversy. Yeah. And it still now, is. It and now everybody's just like, most, yeah, maybe. Most serious guys have some kind of movement Well, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different analogies in hunting, and that's where I'm going with it is that e-callers are awesome. They give a guy the ability to go out and experience the outdoors and have what is most important success that builds confidence and gets him to go again and that gets him to spend more money in our industry and gets our industry stronger and gets his belief in our industry and our livelihood and our lifestyle stronger. And if it wasn't for something like an e-caller, what if a guy never had success mouth calling, but he called in eight out of 10 stands, he called a coyote. He's going to quit hunting if he only gets to use a mouth call. I'm simply saying, personally, I want to be so emotionally connected to that hunt. I want to, or I want to be making that rabbit sound. Maybe it is an ego thing to where I can look at everybody and go, 
man, that was cool. We just called in a coyote. Well, I mean, but, but that's, but that's a different mindset. It, I'm not saying that seeing that coyote charge a mojo double trouble and jump and you guys have the most amazing, it's team dead dog. There's not better footage in the world. I'll say it to any predator hunter out there, even you Al Morris, that as far as the hunting footage out there, the shotgun footage that you guys have accumulated over the last five seasons of coyotes jumping over rocks, jumping over sagebrush to attack that double trouble and eat that feather on the top of it. It's amazing feeling to see that happen. And it makes your success rate go up. Maybe not in my opinion, because I get so jacked up when they're that close that I might miss with a shotgun. And well, I success is a relative term, right? Yeah. What's successful to you? I, I fly fish quite a bit here in Nevada. And, and a guy that builds his own rod and ties his own flies has a little bit more feeling of success maybe than a guy that bought a rod and went and bought some store-bought fly. But at the end of the day... You catch a nice fish, it, it, it's wonderful, right? I think we're we're somewhat, I don't, I don't want to say missing the boat, but somewhat missing the boat, you know, success. So we're talking about success. We have to catch a fish. We have to kill coyotes. We've got to get the mule deer. How many days? I got to get out of chores. Well, yeah. That's so success how many, for me. How many days <laughs> are, you, are you truly successful as far as a harvest? And I guarantee you the amount of days that you harvest, the amount of days that you would say we're success, you're going to have a lot more success because the experience, well, right? And, and for it's me, the experience. success is being with my kids. Exactly. That's what I'm getting at. Or my buddies. Right. And just... Yeah. Right. So, we've, so, we've, ended, we've ended more days with nothing in the truck. Oh, my God. You know, Sometimes big game those hunting, are the most fun days. And, and, and those are the ones you remember. Yeah. Now, of course, you remember the footage. You remember the actual hunt when it does happen, but there's countless days where nothing happened, and that's actually... Oh, in the, a lot of people's book, that's success. That is success because how many times have we gone back and told stories at parties and laughed our butts off because of our unsuccessful hunts, misses, whatever it is, you know? Chad, the, way, the way we set up, the way you put the, you put the decoy instead of, you know, downwind, you put, put it upwind, you put it upwind, you know, and you, and you don't even think about it. So, so yeah, yeah, those are memorable. It's just the drive to the spot was the best time of the day. Yeah, you're it with just your the, buddies, you're yeah. hanging out, and that's success. And the stories that come from those years later are way more important than the, the harvest. You're, the, the 30, not even 30 seconds, the millisecond it takes to pull the trigger and see that animal die is not the success. It's back at camp having a beer or whiskey with your buddies, skinning it out, cutting up, having a good time, singing, cooking dinner that night with the fresh cutout backstrap. For sure. And I wish we could tell each other's favorite stories, but they're not okay. <laughs> yeah, so Chad's I, I, conversation was about, was getting into the, the fulfillment when you do have success and what what strategies you employed, right? I mean, and that... There's, it depends. It goes back to the whole idea of you do it different ways, right? But, uh, well, you know, if you shoot something with a rifle, a, a purist bow guy is going to go say you, you cheated to some degree. You know, there's some guys out there that, that the only way that you do it is you have to, you have to do it with a bow. So I, th I would put that in the same basket as far as e-collar versus mouth call. It comes down to tactics. And you'll forget all of that. The one thing I will say on that subject is you'll forget – E-collar, mouth collar, doesn't matter. When that coyote is charging, you forget all that. It doesn't matter It doesn't well, matter what tactic you're using it's when, getting they, easier when they come too. in. And one thing I've noticed is like with social media and, and the availability of information now, 
it's it's creating a lot of opportunities for people and i don't know how i feel about that good or bad when i first started duck hunting there was a couple books you checked out and you tried to learn it that way but it was mostly experience out in the field now there's youtube videos on everything facebook where to go i mean i see i see guys post spots i'm like that body of water's a lot of fish are hitting right now or I know that mountain range in the back of the picture. I'm going to go shoot birds there next week. The, I mean, it, it's crazy. The readiness and the ability to reach a guy like Chad and ask him about, you know, calling a mallard duck. How, how do you how do you use a duck call? How do you use a goose call? You said it earlier. You guys were trying to call Phil Robertson from the Duck Commander oh, yeah. 20 years ago. Not trying to. You, no. you, you were calling. I don't know how he got through. Right. But, so now... <laughs> Prank caller, prank caller. You can you can DM Clay and say, Clay, uh, what sound were you using yesterday in northern Nevada to call in a coyote? Chad, you know, what at what point do you hit that feed chuckle to get ducks to commit? You know, whatever that that readiness and that availability of information has changed hunting hundred percent. Yeah, and I mean you it's it's again it goes right back to our prior thoughts and, and comments on development and civilization. Everything you got to keep up with the Joneses. It's crazy. If you, if you're going to go out and take a selfie like Jim Ray does or post, like he's the best barbecue pit master in the world, then you better be ready for a whole line of people to be standing outside your house the next day. He, you know what I'm saying? If you're going to go shoot a bunch of chucker and then post, Hey, Winnemucca, Nevada, you, you can't bitch when you see, exactly. when you see is full of a thousand chucker hunters. That's, that's the way it is today. I and, should get a sponsor from Ormachias maybe. Yeah. Are they open again? Yeah. Oh, nice. Didn't they shut down for a minute? Yep. They've had a couple uh, issues this year, but they're back and running. I oh, good. The best steak in Nevada, Jim Ray. The best steak at a Basco house in Nevada. Oh. And, and you got the Overland. You no, have, I know what it is. You have Louis. You have the Santa The Barton. Ray. No, it's really? the Star. The Star and Elko. The nope. Star Garlic Steak. Yes, yes. I believe a Jim Ray. Star. For all you guys that are listening in Nevada, if you've never had the chicken fried steak at the Martin. What does chicken fried steak have? No, but that's not, we're talking about a real steak. We're talking this, about a real steak. I, I, we're not trying to hide inadequacies. Chicken fried steak, bread when it you, up and fry yeah, it in grease. That's, I mean, when you that's ask, a great piece of meat, but you're hiding inadequacies of a poor quality piece of meat. When you ask the waitress what the locals eat at the Basque restaurant at the Martin, it is the chicken fried steak. And I'm only telling you this so you try it next time you go there. The ribeye is great at Sterling's. It's, it's a Legacy. wonderful establishment. The ribeye is great. Did you guys know that I met Drew Barrymore at Bruno's? When you were 14 years old. At yeah. Max Hedrum. And, and, and they were filming a movie called uh, No Far, Way Out. Far From Home. Far From no, Home. No and Drew out. Barrymore was shooting pool next to the, Bali, the Dolly Parton uh, painting in Bruno's. And we shot pool Cuba with Drew Good, Barrymore. Uh, Cuba Gooding Jr., uh, right? Cuba. Junior. Junior. Has a, has a picture out there, too. The, was the, that the same movie? No. no. How did we he go was from Basque restaurants he to was Drew Barrymore? Because I'm, I want to get into Nevada. I, Jim, Jim Ray, um, if you are in the town of Ely, where does a guy go to enjoy a nice cold beverage? Hmm. <laughs> wow. Should have called Trevor Marks. Yeah, should have. I don't spend a lot of time in Ely. And at the times I've been there, I, I probably shouldn't tell you where I was at. I know where you're at. You're freaking <laughs> chasing our elk. The, the jailhouse is a hell of a restaurant. The jailhouse? Yeah, in Ely. The jailhouse, right? Where you sit, you actually, your your booth is inside of a jail cell. That that's, that's a newer deal. 
No, no, that's been around a long time. Has it? Oh, it's great. They got great food. I don't spend a lot of time in Ely, but there is a billboard that says something about a full body shampoo. That's where I was. That's what I figured, Jim. <laughs> hey, That's when you talk about the three chord cowboy, Alex, um, what what song are you like? What you, you you're talking about a guy that just thinks he can play the guitar and 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 tries it, or what are you referring to there? No. If you ever watch like uh, ever, uh, Willie just, Nelson play guitar, he's a technician. You know, he hits all those crazy high notes and big just you know strings of you know riff. music together. He, you're talking about my dog has fleas. I'm more talking about the <laughs> harmony of a song, and that's what Clay has really mastered. It's like a, it, it, Clay's a backup singer in the guitar world. He has the rhythm, and you can definitely sing the song with him, but he's not going to bust off on that solo, and he's not going to argue with me. What does the word gizzards mean to you guys? <laughs> <laughs> so You want some gizzards, sweetie? It's, it's kind of a two-sided <laughs> joke, not really joke, but comment, because... That's what we grew up on, man. When when my dad would say he was chicken, you know, cooking I love chicken gizzards. gizzards. They're a legit. Like, By the way, I'm not. Ju- and, and I don't know if you're what you're doing here, trying to segue into the cooking portion of this, which is why I'm here. But uh, <laughs> uh, questionable. <laughs> oh no, gizzards on a Traeger are unbelievable. Just salt, pepper, oh. throw them on there. In, in a cast iron or right on the grill? On or the foil. Grill. Foil? No. They don't fall through? I'm How not, big are these gizzards? Not quail gizzards. Not, I'm talking I was about chicken. Say they're not quail gizzards. Yeah. They, it's unbelievable. Uh, on, the same, on the same topic of gizzards, Jim, and I want you to answer this because you're the master of these um, <laughs> lots of Basque restaurants, Basco people. If anybody's wondering why we keep referring to Basco, is that there's a huge Basque settlement in the state of Nevada. Sheep herders came here. French, uh, you know, French Basque and, and Spanish Basque had settlements here. And we have a lot of um, towns, communities that have Basque restaurants in them from all along the I-80 corridor, down the 50 corridor, south of Reno and, and Gardnerville. There's a, a place that, you know, known for its Basque heritage. In the town of Reno, right in downtown, we have the Santa Fe, we have Louis. What is a sweet bread? All right. So, and, the, and let me just, I'll give you a little backstory on these restaurants all started. You go to most of the legitimate Basque restaurants in Nevada, and there's usually a hotel involved. And what used to happen is they would ring a bell or do something, and everybody would come down and they would seat everybody together for dinner time from the, the, the guests and whoever was at the bar. And people show up. I go to, I go to a few re, uh, places every week, and they just seat random people with you. And people are like, what? This is weird. And then by the end of the meal, you're, you're talking about – kids and family and all kinds of that's kind of it's basque style dining and so that's how those kind of got started and they're very popular up here in northern nevada we we have quite a few basque restaurants but sweetbreads back to your question is the thymus gland of a cow so that neck those neck glands yep that's what they are and they're delicious so you you're literally taking the gland out of a cow's throat and you're cutting it up. And my favorite recipe is the saute recipe with green onions. And tell you do it. You've 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 prepared this for me before. So you're, I like to. So what you do is you boil them first, and because um, there's a membrane that comes around these glands, you boil them. You peel the membrane, and then you 
saute them with peppers, onions, garlic. But first you flour the sweetbreads, throw them in and brown them. And then you pour in a little white wine and make a sauce in that. And it's basic, very, simple, and I delicious. assume very low in fat and cholesterol. Oh, uh, It's on that keto diet, <laughs> I think. <laughs> uh, Garlic was the key. Basque restaurants, garlic is the number one key. It's the best thing in the world. You know, it, and we, they, they parboil it first so they don't burn it and make it bitter most places. What you, you wanted to segue into a cooking deal, and you made the comment the other night during the University of Nevada Arena win over Cincinnati, ranked number seven. Go pack. The They're getting ready to go on at four. Two o'clock. more hours. Yep. Two more hours. Yep. Who do we play today? University of Chicago. What, what is it? Loyola, 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 Chicago. And the only thing I'm afraid of is that. That nun has been praying, and she's 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 been winning. <laughs> she's so, been winning. She, so there's no doubt. It's I'm a little scared of her. If you, uh... God, <laughs> what? You're I've not... never heard anybody say she's scared of a he's scared of a nun. Oh, you've never. I thought you went to Catholic school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's just true of the ruler. Um, Traeger's become synonymous with us. We, we, we're, yeah. we're partnered with Traeger. We believe in Traeger. We, we've been educated by Chad Ward and, and, and top pit masters from across the country. And we don't come off. We don't want to say like we're the best there is because anybody can go grill. That's what America's built on is backyard parties and, and picnics and grilling and, and putting hot dogs on a grill at a park and watching your kids swim, whatever it is. So I think that what's cool about a Traeger uh. is that it's like it's made you want to become better at because you can do everything on it Traeger's and made food better it makes food better it, it well, my, my dad used to cook chicken and ribs and i had i ate so much medium rare chicken in my day that was blackened on the outside i don't know how i survived it's, it. it's funny something it's that just hit me good. you guys brought up this traeger segment this is exactly equivalent to the e-caller versus mouth call well, That's all I need to say. I, it made made the whole world easier, right? Uh, yeah, just, so when you want to start knocking an e collar, no, you better start. There's knocking Tom. Tom, will you please unplug Clint's uh, microphone? Yeah, I disagree. There's <laughs> right. Genius, there's been right? there's been two Genius. two big food items in my li- that are life changers in my life. And one of them is Traeger, and the other is Metamucil. <laughs> and that's uh, you. Yeah, Traeger, I don't know what Metamucil. Is. Traeger is what's Metamucil? going in. Metamucil is what's going out. <laughs> and I'll get you marinate your meat in Metamucil. I'm lost. No, no, it's a it's a finished product deal. The, uh, his book is going to be called Traeger. Uh, he had this whole planned out the other night that he's literally his his top two things that have re, re, changed my re, life, changed his life, and made him more of a man. Are Metamucil and a Traeger. They haven't made I, me I more of his wife, not his kids. They've made me a better person. Are you insinuating that you're? consumption of meat has raised so high because of the Traeger that now you need Metamucil because you're not eating salad anymore? Pretty much. Could be. Yes. Or because yes. you're old. So, so, so Jim, what, you, the, the best recipe that you've ever done, and, and I'm sure that anybody that's ever had it in our circle would agree, is the, the deboned speckle belly goose. We did oh. it a couple months ago on the Traeger. So good. To watch you work and debone it and then sew it back together, stuff it with the wild rice, put it on that Traeger, the Traeger really is. I mean, everybody's like, you guys are just promoting them because they pay you. No, no, no I disagree. So go anywhere in the country right now. Go to a Costco on a Sunday and watch how many pickups drive away with the Traeger on it. And I, there's the plenty the of, there's plenty of these pellet grills or whatever. I'm sure they're all okay. 
I've I came over here and I had dinner one night and I'm like, what is this deal you got? And he's like, it's a Traeger. And I'm like, what is that? And he was cooking up some food. And I'm just like, I had been using a a big pot pot uh, grill. Smoke th- Nope, just a just a grill. open grill and throw an oak. I'd go buy boxes of oak and throw it on there. And I had a rotisserie and I'd cook lamb or beef, chicken on top on rotisserie. And I built it myself. I had a guy weld it all up for me just to get that smoke flavor. And it was labor intensive. You had to have all Sunday to do it. I come over here and he's got the same flavor. Like you're getting home from work and you can have a smoky chicken. And I'm just like, this is unbelievable. So I stole one out of his garage. And... I haven't looked back. I have not used my oven. And this is no. He's not kidding. I asked joking around. I have not used my oven since that was in early November. And it doesn't go on. Everything I do on the grill or the oven can be done on that piece of machinery. It's unbelievable. It, it, it's a funny, you know, topic to, to sit here and think about. But I look back. My dad bought a Traeger. And then we were talking about Probably that. like three or four years ago. And he cooks everything on it. You know, it's it's Brussels sprouts, it's asparagus, yeah, it's steak, it's oh. chicken, it's fish, everything. And it, this is not a plug for anybody, you know, but the, the reality is somebody created something. It's phenomenal. And, and it's it's it replaces probably everything you've got if you really want it to. But, you know, it made everything taste good, you know, and, and taste different. Everybody was barbecuing a steak over a, oh. a, a a lump charcoal four years ago, 10 years ago. Everybody was using a propane gas grill four years ago, 10 years ago. And then somebody introduced something, and kudos to them. Well, it's like Metamucil. I, I don't know what that is. You yeah, everybody's eating lettuce and all this, all this fiber. <laughs> you take a scoop full of Metamucil in the morning. You're saying you're not going to eat a salad with ranch dressing, and you have mm, rather... No. Why would you? When, I don't know. But a lot of people think, you know, like, and there's different analogies. You know, Traeger has the analogy, or people think that it's set it and forget it. And, you know, there's a lot of camaraderie that takes place around a barbecue. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't want something that you just leave it there and close the lid and the convection process takes place and it smokes it and then it's done. It doesn't matter. Once you taste a piece of chicken... And, and how, I mean, they're innovative with their, all the different accessories that are coming out, their sauces, their rubs, their accessories, everything from their, their, their fish spatula to their, their chicken drumstick hangers, um, their new cast ironware that you can heat up on the grill. You put it up on 450 or high, heat it up, put your asparagus in there. That's a different, I just tried that. I mean, try it, Jim Ray, with some of the new cast iron stuff instead of Ooh. just putting it on the grill. There's so many different things that you can do on it. It makes you want to get better it makes you want to well get outside and cook and be part of it instead of just going and saying hey i'm going to throw this in the oven for 45 minutes and take it out and just be ah blah the, the traeger's lit me up to the point to where i want to figure out a different recipe every single day and i don't know how you guys feel about women and barbecues but um <laughs> my my wife never thought to, about it yeah, my wife used to not be allowed to touch the barbecue like you're gonna burn something to death and Hi, Julie. Yeah. That's I why I voted I for it. Hillary Clinton. But, uh, Sorry. Chauvinist. We, uh, I'll go to baseball practice or something like that, and she'll be like, turn it up to the temperature I, uh, I write down for her, turn it on, wait 10 minutes, boom, I come home, and there's this awesome chicken. Now she's just 
doing it by herself. Notice he's so, still in control no, the whole time. No, but what I'm saying is now she's into it. Not now, 275. I'm not I said home. 265. I'm not home now, and she's starting the Traeger barbecuing. It takes a lot of pressure off me. I, I want to do a round <laughs> robin, and, and, and I don't cook, and, and everybody at this table knows that I don't cook. However, my dad makes a prosciutto-wrapped asparagus, and it's got some kind of cheese in it. I don't know what this. it is, but let's Fontina. go around this table. That's the best Traeger recipe I've ever tried that my dad made, was, and he makes it all the time, is a prosciutto-wrapped asparagus with some kind of cheese in it. Jim, what's your go-to recipe? Oof. I would say the easiest, most fun, everybody appreciates recipe is chicken wings. There's not a bad, but there's, oh my God, that's hard. There's we, so many. Yeah, we did chicken wings the other night at your house. Oh you and they, they ruined dinner. It, was, it did. I, I didn't need <laughs> enough lamb. We had a lamb, rack of lamb after the chicken wings, yeah. and I didn't need as much lamb as I wanted to. Um, I have done probably more brisket and full-on pork shoulders or pork uh, butt on the Traeger than anything else. It was so good. That's what we did for Thanksgiving. That's all we did. Uh, the jalapeno popper recipe is unreal. Your With pork little... chops the other night were unreal. Which but, which which but... jalapeno, Clint? Which jalapeno recipe are you talking about? Uh, I'm going to defer that to Clay. <laughs> Clint doesn't really. Has never got the I, cooking. I put them on. I put them on and I watch them. But with the Traeger, the the, the jalapeno poppers on a Traeger are legit. Oh my dad! The, the jalapeno best. poppers are insane. Um, and first time recipe the other day, which this last Saturday was uh, Green Day, St. Patrick's Day. I did every bit of the meal on the Traeger: the cabbage, the carrots, the potatoes, the corned corn beef, beef. Every bit of it: corned beef in uh, a dark beer and some chicken broth. In a pan on the and all the vegetables, all everything undone on the Traeger, absolutely insane, unbelievable. My my dad said the same thing. He said he, he's going to buy another corned beef and do it on the Traeger so I can try it because I was out of town. But I want to hear what Chad's go to Traeger recipe is. Um, I think that enough enough of you. Uh, you guys are coyote hunting all the time, but there's a lot of you. Better not say coyote backstraps. Coyote no. <laughs> bread. Meat. Some of that bread, some of that meat. Sandwich? I don't know if I could pick like a go-to or a favorite. I just know that I look forward to it. And I don't know if Jim feels the same way about this, but and getting to hang out with the guys at Traeger and their different pro staff guys and ambassadors, I've learned so many different recipes that I, I want to cook breakfast on it every day. I want to cook lunch on it every day. I want to cook. And I wish that, I wish that you know, it was easy for us to have a Traeger in our truck. They have the tailgater in the back with the, you know, that you can do that stuff, but just the Traeger needs to open up a line of restaurants that you could pull into a drive through because any time of day is my point that you can do stuff. They, they gave me this recipe in a cupcake tin. Okay. You put a little tiny bit of, of oil around each cup, take a piece of bacon and put it around the perimeter of each cup. So the bacon's sitting in there in a circle. After that, you take your eggs over here with a little tiny bit of milk and you kind of make a scrambled egg kind of deal up with some green peppers and some onions in there, your seasoning. You pour that right in between. This is keto. Yeah. You pour that right in between the, you know, right on in, into the cup with the baking surround in the oh. perimeter. 
And right there, you put it in the Traeger. You, you can follow this recipe at Traeger.com. It's on there. You can also, you'll also be able to find a lot of these recipes at our, at the foullifetv.com. But you just put it in there, set it and forget it, take it out. It's unbelievable. Smoked egg tasting. I'm doing with bacon that around. tonight. It's amazing. So just innovative ideas like that. I'm not saying that they invented it. I'm not saying that they were the first ones to ever cook bacon on a grill, but the Traeger makes it so easy and so memorable of how good the food is. I've never heard anybody go, wow, that sucks. And Alex asked me the yeah. question of what's your favorite recipe. My favorite experience was Joel Wicker and I, Prairie Wings Duck Camp this year. Brandon Adams, is a he has a huge passion for duck hunting, but he doesn't like to eat duck. He's always like, I won't eat it. Take it. You guys can have it. And I'm like, dude, just eat duck. So we made this duck recipe on the Traeger that we called Nerf footballs. And I, I honestly took it from Jim Ray's deboned duck, but it's kind of along the same lines as that, but it's, it's an amazing recipe. And we, you can find that you, on our websites as well. But Brandon comes in, I'm cutting it up, medium rare duck, you know, not overcooked, oh. perfect off the Traeger. He grabs it and he literally looks at me from across the counter and accuses me of lying and says that it's beef tenderloin. And I said, dude, I look at Joel, who's six foot three, the, one of the best looking dudes in Arkansas. And I go, Joel. Which is not easy to do. <laughs> well, you, you <laughs> were in to town do. too. That's <laughs> but weird. Joel goes, Brandon, I'm telling, Joel and Brandon are tight friends for years. And Brandon would not believe us that it was duck. And I'm not saying that you can't make duck taste good anyway, but I have so much confidence on that Traeger Pro 34, the Timberline 850, whatever it is. It's legit. So that story just tells you right there. Now, Brandon, when I'm at Prairie Wings and I'm with Brandon, he's cooked that duck the same exact way that you made it on that Traeger last night. Don't change a thing. And he's like, and, and so I might vary a tiny bit, but he's into it now. And that is what's awesome about a brand like Traeger is that they make you want to get better as a grillsman. They make you want to get better as a provider. They make you want to come up with out-of-the-box thinking and ideas. And I know that you've done it, Jim, with your oh. recipes, is that you want people to go, man, that's an unbelievable meal. And that's what Traeger's all about to me, is that they've given us the ability to, and, and again, people are going to say, you guys are just doing this Traeger segment. They didn't pay for this podcast. They have, they have not. We can ask Danny or Tyler or Chad or anybody at Traeger. They're not paying for this podcast. We simply have a lot of love and passion for a Traeger and Clint, you know, he gets a bad rap as a cook because there's a lot of well done meat that comes out of his house. A lot of uh, stuff that's, you know, <laughs> that, go ahead, Clint. You want to rebut? Re well, when I make jerky, I, you know, <laughs> he's a great jerky. He's mastered the art of done. blackening. I'll tell you what though. I mean, before blackening. like this, when I got that Traeger, I started putting everything on Facebook. And my, all my friends on Facebook that I run into are like, holy, are, are you sponsored by Traeger or something? I'm like, no. It's Remember when I found out about Metamucil and I was putting all those posts on? It's the same deal. I just, this <laughs> thing is like, it's life-changing. And I just want to share what's what's making my life better. And, and it's, 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 <laughs> it's one of those things to where, you know, people are like, what is, what is, I, I'm, I'm leaving the Traeger discussion right here because it, it, it's literally right now. I keep hitting that microphone because I don't know the exact aesthetics of it. He's passionate. Uh, it's, it's one thirty-seven Pacific time. We have a couple hours before Nevada Wolfpack goes up against, uh, was this a sweet 16? Yeah. And we're getting ready. Loyola, to, if we win this, we Chicago. go to the elite eight and we're probably going to face Kentucky, Kentucky in the eight in the elite eight. And then, oh. It's and probably going to end up a Kansas. In did the you guys see the deal? They re-ranked the Sweet 16. Yeah, did you see that, that deal? Was awesome. Based on previous rankings and how they've done the seed. tournament, we're ranked ahead of Kentucky. So 
you win this game. All right, we're talking to you. Don't jinx know. it. I don't want but, to jinx it. But I off people are why the podcast, Chad? Why you know, I've walked into places and in, in in different situations and seen, you know, not name dropping or anything, but you know, you see Rick Revilio sitting in the Prospectors Club or at Woody's one day and he's and he's over there talking to Joe DeRico or he's over there talking to Gary Carano or somebody and you're just like, Man, I wonder what they're talking about. And to me, that's what a podcast is. We're not getting on these microphones on a Thursday afternoon right now and trying to solve the world's problems. We're not sitting here trying to preach to somebody that you better believe in what we're saying. We're simply having a conversation in things that are going through our minds, things that are playing out in our everyday lives from work to hunting, to barbecuing, to politics, to family, to kids, to sports, whatever it is. This is what we are. This is what we do. It's not like we're sitting in some cave every day and we just pop out and we go and kill an animal. We're living an everyday life. We come from all of these different walks of life. Like I said, Alex is in the transportation business. Jim is in the insurance business. My brother Clint has a master's degree in physical therapy. He's a he's a sharp cat. He should be. He could have been a doctor, no problem, if he wanted to. But he loves putting his hands on guys. I know that sounds weird, but he Wait, literally can and make, old women. He, he makes. <laughs> my back feel so good because he understands the anatomy and the scientific makeup of the body all these different walks of life clay clay works at he's in real estate he also works with with us at the foul life and dead dog walking and hunting and tv production and um, all the different things that we do here all these different walks of life coming together around this little four by four table and talking it's it's you know, I'm interested in it. I really want to know what people are thinking. I want to know what you guys think of, of what we're talking about. We don't want it to be a waste of time and we don't feel that it is, but if we just are a sponge for a couple minutes a day and we process or take in some information, I really think that that's what the secret of life is becoming for me is I want to learn more. When I'm around Jim, when I go over to his house, I did make a comment the other night, like, I don't think these wings are done the way that I would want them done. And Jim could have very easily said, shut up. This is my house. This is going to be done my way. But instead, we compromised. He said, you know what? Maybe they're... And they turned out better, right? But I will... Oh, here we go. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> they actually did. They, they did. Were... But they did. And then he cooked the rack of lamb. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's one of the best pieces of meat I've ever had. And I'm Alex, sure... did you know about this get-together? <laughs> Thanks for the invite. Yeah. <laughs> we set a bunch the... of balloons up in the air on Saturday. <laughs> you, yeah, I put an were, event on red, Facebook. Red, they, they were blue and silver. <laughs> and, and, and so my point is, is that... It's not about being a know-it-all. It's not about saying, oh, our podcast is about you better listen to it and you're going to go out and buy a Traeger or you're going to go out and become a predator hunter. We're simply just giving our thoughts of what's running through our mind. And that's why I wanted to get these guys together is that I know that Alex and Jim and Clint and Clay live interesting lives and they're doing things that I wanted to get out there. They're, they're thinking about things that I wanted people to hear. And I think we could probably get on the air again tomorrow and do the same thing and come up with five or six different topics, but to sit down and talk about coyotes, bum rushing a call, the ethics of hunting, burning man, barbecuing, college basketball. That's what a podcast is all about to me. And there's no rhyme or reason for it. It's a conversation that's taken place and it's just like sitting at Louie's or the star in that family style Basque dining and getting to know somebody by sitting and talking to him and, and not having the mindset of, oh, whoa, 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 we've never met. Don't talk to me. Don't sit by me. Don't touch my salad. Don't share my beans with me. That's what that's what you meant, right, Jim, on oh, family style bet. dining. It, 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 it's it, all, If you've never done it and you're ever in 
northern nevada seek one out it, it's it's awesome but think about it on this level is that our lives are so ingrained now in technology and sending a text to mom and asking her how her day was and i've said this before is that how cool is it that we sit around a table and we're looking at each other and we're talking and we're having a conversation wow that's how that's how our dads did it that's how they had to do it you mentioned tinder I remember that you used to actually have to go and introduce yourself physically to a girl and say, hi, my name is Chad. Would you like to dance? And now you can just swipe right. I remember know, asking I, for a phone number. Yeah. Holy cow. was the hardest thing you ever I did I missed the whole Tinder thing. I think I'd have been pretty good at it. <laughs> <laughs> so my point is, is that there is technology and there is advancement and there is civilization and there is development. We're moving in on the coyotes land and the mule deer land and, and, and we're coming up with different ways to harvest animals and we're coming up with different ways to post a picture and talk to somebody. Let's just remember that there are such things as roots. There is such things as getting back to what means the most. And that to me, it's like if I didn't go over and have that Traeger experience with Jim Ray the other night, I don't know when I would see you again. If I didn't have this podcast going on right now, I don't know when I would see you again. It's all about making that effort. And I think that our lives are going so fast right now. And we have kids and we have families and we're getting older that we have to make more of a, a commitment to getting together. And I think that that's what this is all about is that we have been friends for a long time. And now we get to share with somebody what we talk about at that restaurant. When somebody walks in and goes, Oh, there's Clinton clay and Jim Ray and, and Alex Crosby. What are they talking about? Well, it's not about, we killed 90,000, you know, we killed 90 coyotes last week. It's about everyday topics. And, and that's what I think that this podcast is wrapped around. You guys might not agree. You might agree with that, but that's to me is when I listen to Joe Rogan talk, I get a lot out of it because I I'm inside of his brain. I understand what he's thinking. And, um, that's that's yeah i wanted to explain the podcast clint go ahead well i was just listening to your closing and uh i just had an idea you were talking about past generations what would be better than all of us to sit down around here in the next few weeks and one topic i'm sure we could talk for two hours big daddy cecil washington <laughs> could we sit around you talk about people that if you would have sat around a campfire with somebody and listened to the stories of a man who's now 92 years old and the life he lived what would be better than sharing that experience and having how many people be able to relate to that and know somebody in their family that had those types of stories? You'd have to have that picture of him back in the seventies or whatever, when he's got that, you know, he's a lumberjack and he's got that big Carhartt jacket on fifth of Johnny Walker in one pocket, fifth of mad dog in the other. You got to have that picture up there. for that. And yeah. And we, and, and you know, reality TV and back in the MTV days of the Osbournes, like, did you really think that we'd ever get inside Ozzy Osbourne's house? And now here we are in the 2017s and we have housewives of Atlanta, like who gives a com? but people are eaten up with it and to each their own. If, if people want to listen to a podcast and get something out of it, like Clint's talking about two hours on a topic, then let's discuss the topic. And that's where we're at in society today that we can sit down, put this on an app. Somebody can subscribe and download it and listen to it. If they want to, we're not trying to sit here and say, Hey, listen to this or else it's just something that's out there. And that's what's, there's thousands of podcasts. There's thousands of stations on TV. It's up to us what we want to listen to. And if we have something to say, well, we're going to say it on this life ain't for everybody. And when you have guests like today, we will have everybody back. We work together. Uh, Clinton clay and I do Tom's sitting here. Um, just, 
Tom, will you please come over here real Being quick? Tom. Just, He's Tom. shopping on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> spending more he's money. actually the only guy working right tom now. water balloons are not going to go out of sale <laughs> tom just oh, no. tom come over here and say hello everybody hears tom's voice and he's responsible for the uh, <clears throat> the audio a lot of our design a lot of our photography that you see with bandit in the foul life and and the creative mind behind a lot of what we do rash chuck tom Rashashin. um hey, hi, tom. hey people tom do you like <laughs> tom do you, do you like traeger tom a lot of talker i love it i love a traeger <laughs> Every weekend. <laughs> he is hilarious, too. So I do Only guy I've ever seen fix his hat for a radio show. <laughs> no, no one can see you. So everybody out there, I'm Chad. Um, Alex and Jim and Clay and Clint, they are cut from the same fabric that most of us listening to this are, most of us talking on this are. Um, this life ain't for everybody. It, you know, being a automotive prof- or a, a transportation specialist or an insurance salesman or a, a physical therapist or a graphic designer might not be for everybody. Being a hunter might not be for you, but there's so many different walks of life that make up our communities, our societies, our cities, our towns, our Basque restaurants, um, our political voting booths. Let's, let's give everybody a chance to be who they are and accept that and not just be the ones that jump up and try to deny people their right to do that. We understand that being a hunter, we are going to have people out there that shun down on us, look down on us, protest us. We're ready for it. We're educated. We're, uh, we're ethical. We're not ignorant. And we're not going to go out and just mass murder a huge quantity of animals like they accuse us of doing so. We're going to continue to put our tenderloins and backstraps on a Traeger. We're going to continue to support the beef industry. And uh, there's nobody out there that's going to take that away from us in our opinion. And and I'm glad that I was able to have these guys on the podcast today. We'll do more of it in the future. Does anybody, and when I say anybody, I mean Alex and Jim and Clinton Clay, do you guys have any clothes, closing thoughts, any jokes, any songs that you want to talk about, anything that's going on in a current event type of situation? I will start it and then I will shut up. Tom went on and put the jerky boys on yesterday. And when I heard Sal Rosenberg and I heard Frank Rizzo, Saul, Saul Rosenberg, when I, I was like 1994, UNLV baseball, Ryan Plughoff, Stacy Kleiner, and me listening to the jerky boys that brought back memories. And I sat here with Tom for 15 minutes and laughed my butt off at three or four skits. Um, that might not be relevant with you guys because you guys don't like comedy, but I, I feel the jerky boys are a staple. Yeah. <laughs> Alex, Jerky Boys. Hey, Frank Rizzo. My ashy sand dabs. <laughs> I literally think that we've lost a small step in music, comedy, and art with the new generation. I want to go back to 1990 and 2000. I'll end with that. Ooh. Wow. Strong statement. Even Slipknot? The knot is from the late 2000s. They're still in there, what and about, they are rad. What about Guns N' Roses in the concert we saw last summer? Oh, my God. I thought he was going to shut up. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this goes on for another 45 minutes. This is one of the best experiences of my life to see Guns N' Roses at AT&T Park. Holy cow. And I, I, I don't even know where to go with that, but my favorite thing was that Axel was famous for never going on on time. And we sat in that parking lot and we drank beers on the back of your truck. And all of a sudden we could hear the guitars playing and we're like, what, what? is going on? And we ran into AT&T Park. We missed like probably a minute and a half of night train and I was pissed, but it was unbelievable. Once again, I wasn't invited. to that. It wasn't either, night so. train. I, I think it was. Yeah, it was. I think it was. Alex is absolutely missing the mark. The only thing I want back from the 90s is my hair. <laughs> I go to the grocery store now, and these girls are wearing yoga pants. 
We had, we were in the grunge. I have. We had sweatpants on. and hoodies. You didn't know what you were getting until you got home. I never said that anything changed or is bad about girls. I said yeah. music, art, out, comedy, Jim. I don't want to go back to the nineties. Chad's wearing <laughs> yoga pants right now. You would never seen that in the nineties. No, I'm not. I think these are officially Oakley, called joggers. They're Oakley sweatpants, and they're very stylish on my quadriceps. Right, Jim? Your glutes. Yes, they are. <laughs> my glutes. So the Jerky Boys didn't ring a bell for anybody. Was I way oh, off? Oh, I love the Jerky Boys. I mean, I was burnt about my face, breast, chest, yeah. neck, and head. Those guys. <laughs> She's up there slapping these guys around with a hot mop. I got to fire her ass off the roof. What are you talking about, the jerky boy? I could do this whole thing all day long. Walk across the beach and step on piss clams. I I say you buy the fucking car. I break your... I sell things, huh? You bring in a tank, I'll sell them. Do I need to bring my shoes and glasses? Jim, do you have any more closing thoughts before somebody drops an F-bomb on the podcast? Five, 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 seven, eight, five. If this goes any longer, there is going to be an F-bomb. Jim... So the last thing that I assume you're going to say is that you're going to cook something for us right now on a Traeger? You bet. All right. Whatever's thought out. Everybody, uh, I appreciate everybody listening to This Life Ain't For Everybody. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of our guests today, um, our friendships, our association, our professional lives, our families. And that's what our communities are still built around, in my opinion. Let's get back to our roots. Let's say hello more often. Let's be more open-minded to learning about people. And um, let's just uh, keep living life and kicking butt, kicking ass every single day. Alex, Jim, Clint, Clay, thank you. Tom, play us out. This life ain't for everybody. This is my good friend, and I was going to go into this. I was on the phone with him earlier, Leith Lofton. He's going to be singing um, What You Gonna Do When the Money's All Gone, written by him and our other good friend, Drake White. We have a lot of pride in our music friends here. Tom, play us out. Y'all go download Leith Lofton and Drake White. I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? Say life on earth won't last that long. What you gonna do when the money's all gone?